surgery at Leeds General Infirmary, Glenfield in Leicester and Royal Brompton in London. A public consultation is underway in central Bedfordshire that could stop sex shops and lap dancing clubs opening in town centres. Ewan Duncan has the details. After the controversy over the opening of a lap dancing club in Amptill, Central Bedfordshire Council's asking local people whether they want tighter restrictions on the adult sex industry. A ban could be imposed on strip clubs and sex shops within 500 metres of schools, parks and churches, as well as close to community buildings and residential areas. More than 2,500 people signed a petition against Amptill's lap dancing club, which lasted three months before relaunching as a nightclub. A final decision on the policy is due to be made in September. A proposal to build 10,000 new homes in East Hertfordshire will be going up for public consultation later this summer. The plans would involve building on Greenbelt land, which has prompted opposition from local residents and environmentalists. Mary Parsons is from the developers behind the project, Places for People. We're aware of the concerns that have been raised and we respect Greenbelt and the role that it plays, but I think it is the overarching question that East Hertfordshire is going to have to roll back the Greenbelt and that's perfectly in line with the government's planning policy. And if we don't do it here, the other areas in the district are going to have to consider that as well. An economic think tank has found that wages have fallen by more in real terms since the recession began in 2008 than in any comparable five-year period. The Institute for Fiscal Studies says a third of workers who are in the same job have seen a cut or freeze in their wages once inflation's taken into account. In sport, motor racing, Sebastian Vettel has extended his contract with the Milton Keynes-based Red Bull until the end of 2015. The 25-year-old Germans won the last three Formula One championships and is leading this year's competition. The weather cloudy with patchy rain and a Top temperature of 20 degrees Celsius, that's 68 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sports online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Where are we now? Is it Wednesday? I think it's Wednesday, isn't it? Oh my goodness, the week is literally um, passing at normal weekly speed, I guess. Lots coming up on the show. Uh, And as always, be good to get your say on some of these things. Later on in the show, we'll be hearing from a family who believe their elderly relative would have died if they hadn't have intervened during her time at Milton Keynes Hospital. It's an incredible story. Also, Central Bedfordshire Council wants to change its sex licensing policy, which would make it very difficult for sex clubs or even sex shops to open in certain areas. But really... Is there anything wrong with sex shops? And a charity says parents are too worried to give their children freedom and allow them to play out on their own. Well, at what age did you let your kids play out unsupervised? You can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or... And this is the best way to do it. You can give me a phone call 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, the family of an 82-year-old woman say she would have died if they hadn't intervened in her care at Milton Keynes Hospital. Joan Parker was admitted in February with a bad head injury after collapsing at home in Two Mile Ash. 
It wasn't until two weeks later that she was sent to the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford to have an operation to remove bleeding on her brain. Well, our reporter, Tara Gungafal, is in the studio. Tara, this doesn't sound particularly good, does it? No, and Joan's family would certainly agree with that, as would quite a few other people. They went with her to Milton Keynes Hospital on the 23rd of February. Now, Joan's daughter-in-law, Pam, used to work in the ambulance service, and she says she kept telling staff that uh, Joan needed fluids. But despite that, they say she says it took three hours for the hospital to give her those fluids, and it took a further one and a half hours to give her painkillers. However, nothing was done to examine her head until a few days later when she had a scan which showed bleeding on the brain and that delay happened even though Pam says it was obvious that she'd hurt her head. My mother-in-law collapsed she was 11 hours on the floor emergency ambulance was called Um, it was apparent that she had a very nasty head injury Um, the head was swollen it was um, coming down her face and it was getting progressively worse and you couldn't mistake that she had a head injury. And um, it took us, um, you know, at least a couple of days to actually get a scan. And when they discovered there was blood on the brain, they did nothing. The family say that hadn't, had they not intervened on her behalf, then she wouldn't have survived. Yes, they do say that. They also say that Joan's granddaughter went in to feed Joan as they knew she couldn't eat solids because Joan had suffered from throat cancer. They also say that nurses had mixed up patient records so she was provided with sandwiches, which mm. is something that she could not eat. It was the wrong food for her. And Pam took pictures, which she says proves that they had mixed up patients' notes. Now, Joan's son, Dave Parker, says they had to battle every day to get her the basic level of care, without which they believe she wouldn't be here today. I think the the crisis is it's at every level of care. It's not just the high-level intensive care or brain op. It's just basic food, drink and cleanliness. I think because of our intervention, or many interventions over the whole course of her treatment in Milton Keynes, um, we had to inter- intervene and battle on a daily or, or even more, more than once a day to get at the basic level of care. And uh, if she hadn't have had that care, she definitely wouldn't be with us today. But Joan survived, didn't she? Yes, thankfully. And the family say it was down to the fact that they made sure she was properly fed. And they also made sure she was put on a drip, but that took two weeks. Um, After a second scan, she was then taken to the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford, where she had an emergency brain operation to deal with the bleeding on the brain. So this was a very serious fall for Joan. She is still alive. She's back in Milton Keynes Hospital again, though. And Pam says she's very concerned about the level of care the elderly receive there. Very worried. I would definitely, and in my husband's word, I would drive past it um, rather than go go in there. It's frightening, and it's really, really frightening for us to think that when you're older, what's going to happen to you? Because there's no care as soon as you get to a certain age. I think they um, saw that she had wrinkled skin, you know, pardon the expression, and in her own words, was it because I had grey hair? And, um, you know, she's been through a traumatic time since that. Well, that was Pam there. We'll be speaking to Pam later on in the programme and also to the Chief Executive of Milton Keynes Hospital, Joe Harrison. 08459 455 555 is the phone number if you want to give us a call. Oh, I've not heard this for ages. I don't think I've ever heard this on the radio. A little bit of Sergeant Peppers. Why not? Ladies and gentlemen, The Beatles.
no choice the greatest surviving beetle ladies and gentlemen mr ringo star ringo star who's got a book coming out of photographs what he done take in the 60s boy i'm gonna slap down there's a lot of good stuff coming out at the moment from what used to be called remember in the late 80s there was a phrase heritage artists and basically it meant old people uh, there's lots of good stuff coming out by heritage artists aka old people who'd have thought that we'd be buying, um, uh, spending big bucks on things by men in their 70s. There's two Beach Boys, there's a Beach Boys box set I want, there's a Beach Boys live album, there's the Ringo Starr book. Didn't get any of it for my birthday. I don't know, I've still not opened my birthday presents. I still haven't opened... There's no one in my... Rod Stewart, of course, number one. There's no one in my house, okay, because my little baby's in hospital, my wife's off with, with the baby, and uh, my son, because I'm working, he's kind of staying with his grandmother, and I'm, you know, I can't open birthday presents on my own. I can't just, I can't just sit there. No, you, my production team will not be coming round to my house. I can't just sit there. I opened one present, okay, I'm not, I'm not saying this for a sob story, I'm, you know, I opened one present and it just felt so joyless. There was no one to go, oh, look at this. Oh look, oh, look what they got. There's no one. I just went, oh, yeah. I'll leave the others in a bag and maybe we'll do them when everybody else is home. 
Uh, I got. Oh, the, is, it, is it the new Superman film? Is that today? Is it today the Superman movie comes out? Soon, very soon. I don't know what your my production team are, are waving their hands hands around. What on earth are you saying to me, Tara? What what? It's like that special showing they do. Oh right, you know, the premiere. Um, Leicester Square or something. A premiere. That's it. Yes, that's it. The, the special showing they do. The premiere, I believe, is the technical term for that. I'm looking for. I'm, I've heard nothing about the new Superman film. Does that mean it's a stinker? What was wrong with the last Superman guy? Not Reeves, the other one. What was wrong? With, I thought he was. He was quite. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Shall I shut it up? Yes. Here's Adam. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. M40 London bound. There's a lane closed off. It's a broken down vehicle and you'll find it between Junction 5 at Stoke and Church and 4 at High Wycombe. It's the inside lane of the motorway that's been closed off and so far this morning traffic's pretty light so it's not causing too much disruption as people get past it in the other lanes. Everything moving nicely on all the other motorways at the moment. M1 and M25 all looking clear. Disruption for flights once again today. If you're heading off to Luton, Disruption to flights to and from France and to some other European destinations. This is because of industrial action being taken by the air traffic control staff over in France. It's going to take place throughout today, affecting any flights going through French airspace. There was supposed to be industrial action going on tomorrow as well, but as far as I know, that's now been called off. But the advice is the same as yesterday. Do check with your airline before heading off to the airport. Oh, these lazy continentals. Sorry, Adam, did I say that out loud? (laughs) I do apologise. If your commute is a more conventional form of transport this morning, certainly trains and tubes are looking absolutely fine. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties. Thank you very much, Adam. More from him in 15 minutes. Right, it's 6.16. It's Wednesday, the 12th of June. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of an 82-year-old woman say she would have died if they hadn't repeatedly intervened in her care at Milton Keynes Hospital. A public consultation is underway in central Bedfordshire that could stop sex shops and lap dancing clubs opening in town centres. In sport, England under-21s manager Stuart Pearce says his team, rather than him, should take responsibility for their 1-0 defeat by Israel. Oh, right, yeah, OK. Coming up, 10,000 new homes could be built in Hertfordshire, but it's raising concerns for the residents living nearby. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday from 12, Nick Coffer brings you Great Guests Julian Clary Welcome to BBC Three Counties Radio Legendary Genesis guitarist Steve Hackett Supertramp frontman Roger Hodgson Carol Decker of Tapau fame joins me now Great Conversations China in Your Hand is about the fragility of your dreams and that you should be careful what you wish for Something very addictive about making people laugh is standing on stage and every few seconds getting that hit of a, of a laugh Nick Coffer. Weekdays from 12 on BBC Three Counties Radio. Let's just be serious for a second. Julian Clary, big star, very, very nice man. Getting laughs every few seconds, Julian. Every few years, I would suggest, sir. Disappointment haunted all my dreams 
Then I saw her face Now I'm a believer I heard a trace Of doubt in my mind I've been alone I'm a believer I couldn't leave her if I tried I thought love was more or less A given thing yesterday <laughs> I did I met Ryland yesterday he's very nice I thought he came he made a point of coming over and saying hello to me amazing teeth amazing he's very lucky to be born with teeth like that I tell you that wowzers now locals in East Hertfordshire say they're very concerned about plans to build 10,000 new homes there the proposals would see massive development around the existing Gilston Park The plans are about to go up for consultation, but people living in the nearby villages of Eastwick and Gilston say the land is mostly greenbelt and shouldn't be touched. Well, our reporter, Rosanna Lockwood, spoke with Mary Parsons from the developers Places for People. Gilston Park Estate, where we're standing at the entrance to it now, it's a major development opportunity. It's a estate that Places for People own. You can see we're right on the edge of Harlow, but we're also standing in in East Hertfordshire. And so uh, we're proposing to deliver a series of new places, new villages, of around about 8,500 homes. So right on the edge of Harlow with all the convenience in terms of access, but looking out into the East Hertfordshire countryside. I think this is a development we've been involved in for a number of years now. It's really the next generation of of some of the places we've created in the likes of Milton Keynes. And for us as an organisation, we see this as a really unique opportunity to not only deliver the housing that you can see is so clearly needed in both East Hertfordshire and Harlow, but to think about the schools, the improvements to the road network, 
It was obviously a major consideration when we've talked to local people in the villages. You know, what's going to happen about schools? There's a real shortage in the area. There's congestion on the roads. And what we're saying is, well, actually, there are solutions to those. There's investment that this development could bring. And we want to work with all of the public sector partners to make sure that all of those infrastructure requirements are put in place. Because we're standing here by the roads, we can see the volume of traffic. It's making sure that we actually plan for new access in and out of Harlem and invest in the road infrastructure major investment in secondary education it would be potentially six new primary schools two new secondary schools and investment into health and leisure and so on as well so we really are trying to make sure that these new communities and the existing ones here would have everything that they need to support them you mentioned projects done in Milton Keynes some people will be familiar with those and critics will say it's manufacturing villages how are you going to blend this necklace of villages into the local environment I think that's a really good question actually because if you look at the best places you know they don't tend to be planned as one they do tend to grow organically over time and I think that time dimension is quite important when we were looking at the master plan you know this isn't a big sprawling housing estate with all of the houses the same we've really started from looking at the landscape the woodlands the historic heritage in the area and then looking where development might be appropriate and within those they will each have their own unique character but still work together as a whole in terms of the facilities and services that support them. That was Mary Parsons from Places for People, which is proposing to build 10,000 new homes in East Hertfordshire. Well, later on in the show, we'll be hearing from the Campaign to Protect Rural England to find out what it thinks about building on Greenbelt land. Should we have a little look at some of the front pages of the newspapers? I'm struggling to speak today. My tongue feels all fat and, and floppy. I think, you know the underside of your tongue where it connects to the, the um, base of your mouth? I think I've torn that. You, no. I don't know, no. I don't know how. I've torn it. You can do that, can't you? It's only a thin piece of skin. Why am I getting funny looks? I've got a serious medical condition and everyone thinks I'm being vulgar. I'm not. It's really sore. And my tongue feels a little bit longer. It comes out further, which would imply that something has been uh, torn. My eldest, we had to have that cut. He had a little, he was a little bit tongue-tied. They had to cut it. It's enough. Uh, um, I'm using mouthwash. I'm hoping that... Does mouthwash have medicinal qualities? It, it, it cleans wounds, doesn't it? The Guardian. Uh, incredible picture of uh, a protester in Turkey being knocked off of his feet by a water cannon. That's an amazing picture. Uh, UK raises alarm on superbugs. Calls for clamp down. Oh, here we go again. On overuse of antibiotics to limit lethal infections. For goodness sakes. I, I remember I had a row with a doctor on this show once. Um, who, who said that it was my fault that we as a nation are um, building a resistance to antibiotics. I said if a doctor prescribed me antibiotics, I would take them. Anyway, girl fled to France with teacher after police check. That's uh, uh, whistleblowers lover uncovered. The newspaper is having a field day with this young lady. Um, she, uh, Lindsay Mills, who is the partner of uh, Edward Snowden, he's the chap that kind of came out and said, oh yeah, the uh, prison, America is reading all of your emails and, and listening to your phone calls. Well, it turns out his girlfriend, Lindsay Mills, let's just say he's batting out of, uh, of his uh, league slightly. She's a hot pole dancer, he's a slightly nerdy geek. 
He's doing very well for himself, apart from the fact he's holed up in uh, a hotel in Hong Kong. Uh, NHS chief accused of covering up £2 million payoffs. Uh, take less, and Bishop tells baby boomers. This is on The Telegraph. Baby boomers are a fortunate generation who've enjoyed dramatic improvements in living standards, but are now absorbing more than their fair share of taxpayers' money. The Independent, uh, more on Turkey. A Turkey in the EU yet? Can we ask them to leave the EU until they've sorted all of this nonsense out? The Agricultural Revolution, says the Independent, UK set to embrace GM. Environment Secretary will urge EU to relax restrictions on crop licensing. Well, um, that, wh- why have they? Ma- by the way, why have they made a celebrity out of this Welsh idiot? You know the the, the chubby guy, the phone call centre. Why have they made? Why have they made an obnoxious man? I say obnoxious. All I've seen is a 30-second clip of the show where he's getting people to sing and an interview he did on uh, BBC Breakfast. Uh, Nev. Big Nev, isn't it? Uh, He's on the front page of The Independent. Turn to page 22 and 23. He's not naturally funny. The dark side of the call centre. The BBC's fly-in-the-wall documentary has made a star of Neville Wilshire. But what about the people at the receiving end of his firm's unsolicited calls? The Times, uh, again, Turkey uh, on the front page. Amazing pictures from Turkey. There's a young, uh, a young lad wearing a gas mask, chucking a, a, a smoke bomb or something. And personalised cancer files to save thousands of lives. We'll have a look at the Express and the Mail and the Sun in a little bit, but let's have some Eddie Cochran first, shall we? Son, you gotta work late Sometimes I wonder what I'm gonna do But there ain't no cure for the summertime blues Oh, well, my mom and papa told me Son, you gotta make some money now, If you wanna use a car to go a ride next Sunday Use a car cause you didn't work a lift Sometimes I wonder what I'm gonna do But there ain't no cure for the summertime blues Son, but you're too young to vote. Sometimes I wonder what I'm gonna do, but there ain't no cure for the summertime blues. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The one lane closed off on the M40. This is London bound between Stoke and Church and Junction 5 and High Wycombe at Junction 4. It's a broken down vehicle that's in the inside lane and traffic is thankfully getting past it okay. The A404 through High Wycombe 
Temporary traffic lights are still up for another few days while they continue with the electricity work near Gerald's Road. The A41 in Aylesbury along Tring Road, you'll find a lane closed at the Tesco roundabout for roadworks, though they're hoping to have those finished later today. And in Stevenage North Road, there are works taking place around Granby Road. All looking good on the major routes. No M1 delays yet this morning. A1 M and M25 looking clear on the cameras. Speed sensors aren't picking up anything particularly strange. And all looking good on the trains and tubes. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. 6.30, news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of an 82-year-old woman says she would have died if they hadn't repeatedly intervened in her care at Milton Keynes Hospital. A public consultation is underway in central Bedfordshire that could stop sex shops and lap dancing clubs opening in town centres. And plans for thousands of new homes on Greenbelt land in East Hertfordshire will be made public later this summer. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. The Formula One world champion Sebastian Vettel has agreed a new contract extension with Milton Keynes-based Red Bull. He'll now be with the team until the end of 2015. Vettel has been a part of the team since 2009, claiming 29 victories, 39 pole positions and winning three successive titles since 2010. England's under-21 side lost their final match at the European Football Championships in Israel. They were beaten 1-0 by the hosts in Jerusalem to add to their defeats to Italy and Norway. So, a miserable tournament for the England manager, Stuart Pearce, who has asked why his side hadn't been able to progress from the group stages. Maybe uh, wasn't enough talent here. Maybe the 13 players that stayed at home would have contributed slightly better. Maybe end of season people felt as though they were suffering fatigue I don't know a multitude of things I have to learn from it you know and the players have to learn from it I'm not really in the business of hanging people out to dry the bottom line is the results weren't good enough we lost three games Tiger Woods says his spat with Sergio Garcia is done ahead of this week's US Open golf at Merion. Garcia had been accused of racially insulting Woods last month before the PGA Championships at Wentworth. The Spaniard insists his comment wasn't meant to be racist, but admits he regrets what he said. I wish I could go back in time and, and, uh, and take back what I said, but unfortunately I said it. You know, the only thing I can do is show you my respect from here moving forward. You know, try to be as respectful as, as possible. You know, competing and, and, and hopefully my, uh, what I do uh, will, will show you how much I care about, about everybody. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at 7 o'clock. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is Ian Lee. BBC Three Counties Radio. Sex, sex, sex. Would you object to a sex shop opening in your town? Bit of harmless fun, isn't it? Well, one council is trying to make the rules tougher to stop people from opening sex shops in towns. 08459 455 555. And how old were you when you were first allowed to play outside on your own? I remember being allowed to play out on my own at the age of seven. Seven years old. Well, there are a group who are concerned that children these days aren't being allowed out under the age of ten. So how old were you? When you were first allowed to play outside on your own, 08459 455 555, or text 81333, start your text 3CR, please include your name, otherwise it ain't getting read.
In April, we ran the story about a doctor's surgery in Milton Keynes, which suddenly closed after one of its doctors resigned and another was suspended. Well, since then, important mail uh, containing medical information has been piling up, get this, in the doorway at the Willen surgery. So the postman's just pushing it through the slot and nobody's doing anything about it. Well, how would you feel if your notes about your medical condition or your, your children's medical condition... Yeah, just put that through the door. Oh, no one's collecting it. Oh, don't worry about it. It can't be that important. Well, patients have been transferred to altern- alternative surgeries as far away as Bletchley. Rick Brackenbury is a local Lib Dem councillor and is presenting a motion on this topic to the council this evening. Good morning, Rick. What's, the, what's your motion about? Good morning. Um, the motion is really about bringing to, to public attention all the issues involved with the sudden closure of the surgery. You've just referred to the issues of males piling up, but also that the way that patients were reallocated caused a lot of concern and distress. For example, all patients were allocated in strict surname order. 
which meant that you had members of the same household with different surnames who were initially allocated to different surgeries. You've also got many elderly residents using the surgery where the new, uh, the new surgery they were given just wasn't well located for them. It was a long way away and there wasn't good public transport to get there. The whole thing's been handled pretty badly. Lots of people didn't know the surgery had closed until they turned up for their appointment on a Monday morning and saw a note on the door saying, yeah, sorry, we've closed. That's very true. I heard several residents who complained to me with exactly that same issue. And the the surgery clearly did close with with very little or no notice. But at the same time, I think there are serious issues about how the closure itself was handled. And it's been very difficult to get answers off the NHS body responsible, NHS England. It's only this week that they've they've, uh, engaged with some of the points raised in the motion. Well, why are NHS England being so vague about things? Surely they would want to come out immediately kind of take control of the situation and, and explain what had happened uh, I would agree with you and I think they would have it would have been far better had they done so there clearly are issues around the circumstances of the closure that they're not able to discuss and I don't criticise them for that but in terms of the management of our reallocating patients to other surgeries uh, they seem to have been unwilling to discuss their actions and see if there are any lessons that can have been learned. And today's motion has clearly uh, brought out some of those issues into the open to be able to have that discussion. What, what are you hoping to achieve with this motion, Rick? Um, firstly, to ensure that Milton Keynes Council and the population of Milton Keynes understands quite how much uh, distress and concern the closure has caused. Um, certainly, I'd like a review of any issues over how the closure was managed. You've already referred to mail and the issues of how patients were reallocated. I want to make sure that if anybody else uh, is in a similar situation that they don't go through the same distress. But also I want to make sure that we get a proper dialogue going about what GP services Milton Keynes needs for the future. Milton Keynes is one of the fastest growing areas in England and we need to make sure that we've got the right number of GPs in the right places across. Didn't Will and Surgery have something like 2,000 patients on its books and uh, and to fire those off into the rest of the milton Keynes community that's a big burden isn't it for, for other surgeries to take on board uh, the number i heard was substantially uh, higher nearer to five thousand was it nearer five thousand um, okay yes in, in terms of the burden uh, there were various other local surgeries who were asked if they had capacity and at the moment there were other surgeries who were able to respond however as i've said with milton Keynes' projected growth in the future um it's clear that further gps will be needed in time so although there was a spare capacity at the moment that that won't be the case moving into the future i was shocked to hear that there are uh, what are probably important medical records and documents just being posted through the door and piling up nobody's gone in to collect them or to sort through them or to tidy them up. What have NHS England said about that? Um, NHS England have said that's not their responsibility and I believe on this point they are, uh, they are correct. Whose responsibility this, is it then? Uh, in this case it's the, uh, the owner of the building and the actual leaseholder, the previous doctor who were responsible. I've heard very uh, mixed reports on what is happening. Certainly at first papers were piling up. I've then revisited. I live in Willem myself, so mm. I pass the surgery regularly. How, um, I believe that papers were being uh, being collected and moved on, but only yesterday I heard a further report that they were piling up again. Uh, and, and what have people said to you, Rick? Um, at first, obviously, there was real uh, shock, anger, and uh, general unease about what was going on. And I think that's then moved... Uh, moved to asking a lot of questions about how the closure was handled, about whether 
patients could have been informed any better way about whether the, uh, the reallocation could have been done more smoothly. And let me give you an example of that. NHS England have issued a statement this week saying that they decided to allocate by, uh, by surname essentially so that they could quickly move the medical records. I think they had a trays and files so they could take A to C to one surgery, D to F to the next surgery, clearly in their interests for a uh, smooth transfer. However, I really have to question whether that was in the interests of the patients. Rick, I appreciate your time, and no doubt we'll be talking about this again. That's uh, Rick Brackenbury, local Lib Dem councillor for Linford South. 08459 four double five five double five. There are a group of people who are concerned that kids aren't playing outside on their own enough these days. Well, I'm asking, at what age did you first play outside on your own? Dennis is in Dunstable. Good morning, Dennis. Good morning. Well, well, when did you first play out on your own? Uh, this was in the 20s, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> the 1920s? Yeah, well, not 1820s. That, that is mental. No, honestly. You're I a piece of living pub. history. I lived in a pub. They should take you to flog it. I know. They probably wouldn't get much for me. No. Much, Maybe just no. half a shilling. No, I lived in a pub yes. alongside the Manchester-Liverpool railway line. Wow. I used to come out of... Just, once I'd been shown the way, yes. I used to come out of the pub, walk alongside the railway line, yes. drop down some steps onto the edge of the Bridgewater Canal. Are you going to give us the whole journey in real time? Yeah, cross, cross the road yes, and went into another pub where my cousin then took me on to school. And then in the right. evening I went the reverse. I had no children to play with at that age. No, you wouldn't. No, but... Oh, you mean friends? Oh, got friends. Yes, I got. I didn't know any friends but, around there. That yes, time. it was only when I got to school that I met people. Because in the pub, right. there weren't any other children. They, no, hopefully not. No, well, no. We're Did not you? Right. So they had schools in the 1920s. You didn't just go up chimneys and clean no, them. No, no, no. It wasn't as bad as that. No, it had stopped all that by then. No, we got flogged when we got to school, mind you, good. to make sure we were going to be get good. You good, know? as you, you you would think. So, what do you think, Dennis? Th- th- there are kids these days who are 10, 11, 12. They're not even allowed out on their own. Well, can I say this? Please. I live right opposite a school in Dunstable here, and we've, on both sides of me, I've got two uh, brother and sister, youngsters, and they cycle up and down the pe- pavement, and I've told them they can come onto my drive, because I have no car now, they can come up and down the drive as long as they don't run over the lawn. <laughs> Why not? They can cycle up. Y'all, I love the kids, you know. Yes. Let them play out, for God's sake. They get some fresh air, then. That's for, uh, on your driveway? Yeah. How big is your driveway, Dennis? Oh, what you can see, probably five metres long, and then we've got a, a patch in the middle of the, uh, where well, it would have been a lawn, we've just got a, uh, an area with, with flowers in. They cycle round and round that. And what, what, would, what would you do to those children if they did uh, disobey you and well, ride their bikes on the lawn? I told them not to do this, and this little girl next door, but two, she said, would, would you be cross if I did it accidentally? <laughs> Did you hit her? No. No, no, of course you didn't, Dennis. You can't these days. No, That's I, one of the problems. If, if, no, if, if uh, the parents... I'd picked her up and kissed her. She's such a lovely kid. No, they're nice children. They, they'd get on with it, you know. Um, Dennis, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Bye-bye. Now, go and have a, go and have a cup of tea and a lie down. Yeah, I'm going to have a lie down and then a cup of tea. No, I said have a cup of tea, then a lie down. No, it's the other way around, no. me, I'm afraid. Den- no, Dennis. <laughs> cup of tea, then a lie down. No, if I lay down, I'd, I'd be sick. Okay, bye bye. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Well, that was slightly surreal. The M40. Don't lay down, Adam, you'll be sick. London bound, there's still a lane closed. It's a broken down lorry between Stoke and Church at Junction 5 and High Wycombe at Junction 4. The inside lane is the one that's closed off, but looking at the cameras around there, for the moment, traffic is moving fine. 
Anti-clockwise M25, it's starting to slow up between the M1 and the A41 junction 21 to 20. If you're driving into London, the A1 on the southbound side through Boreham Wood, the queues are building from Stirling Corner down to Apex Corner. Trains and tubes running okay. If you're flying anywhere today from Luton, disruption to flights to and from France and some other European destinations. This is because of industrial action by the air traffic control staff in France and it's affecting any flights using French airspace. So do check with your airline before heading off to the airport. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much indeed. Right, 6.46, it's Wednesday the 12th of June, I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of an 82-year-old woman say she would have died if they hadn't repeatedly intervened in her care at Milton Keynes Hospital. A public consultation is underway in central Bedfordshire that could stop sex shops and lap dancing clubs opening in town centres. In sport, the Formula One world champion Sebastian Vettel has agreed a new contract extension with Milton Keynes-based Red Bull. Coming up, do you think it's okay for under-10s to play outdoors unsupervised? A new study reveals kids are allowed to play outside in the street age 9. 08459 455555. But before that, here's the weather with Wendy Hurrell. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning all. It's a really cloudy start to the day and caught up with that some drizzle as well. There is a window of the day though that's actually going to be slightly improved on what we've got at the moment and it's the hints of that starting to come through at the moment in the form of some brighter or sunny spells. Now that's going to help lift the temperature from a fairly mild 12 or 13 degrees Celsius. In fact it's 14 degrees at Luton Airport at the moment up to the top teens and perhaps maybe some places will hit 20 or 21 degrees Celsius if we get a long sunny spell. Bit of a breeze blowing today from a southwesterly direction, and eventually it's going to turn rather wet. Now, mid-afternoon onwards, I think we'll start to see that, and through the evening's rush hour and the first part of the night, we could get some really quite heavy rain that may give us 10 to 15 millimetres before it's out. Now, that will leave us with a cloudy night with fairly mild conditions once again, but what's going to happen is it will turn really very windy. We're talking gusts of wind up to 40 miles per hour in the early hours of tomorrow morning, which, when the leaves are in full leaf, isn't the best idea the trees that is so uh, it's going to look a little bit interesting first thing tomorrow morning quite a blustery start to the day lots of cloud around one or two showers dotted around two but there will be some sunshine towards the end of the day and we'll do a bit of shower dodging through friday and into the weekend as well Every weekday from three, Roberto Peroni. The bosses of a Milton Keynes lorry driver who died after falling asleep at the wheel have been found guilty of manslaughter with the best local news stories. At the moment, Christmas in Luton is at risk. We'll do our best. We'll work with the the business community and other sponsors to fund the Christmas lights. The best local travel. Multi-vehicle crash on the M1 northbound just as you come from the M25. It's going to get busy. Three cars involved with the best local talking points. Because I was born female, that was my first sin if you like and I don't think I've ever been forgiven for it. Roberto Peroni weekdays from three on BBC Three Counties Radio. This is Ian Lee BBC Three Counties Radio. What are you doing here? I'm here to talk about your next item. And you're in the studio? Yes, I'm here. I thought I would come and show you what I'm wearing today and uh, show you my, what, my designer stubble. I've got to play a Jamie Cullum song. It lasts three minutes thirty. Would, could you wait outside while yeah, I play it? Otherwise it's a bit awkward. It's going to be very awkward, isn't it? Dear. You're staying, eh? Um, I'm going. Bye. Thanks, bye. That's better. I will meet you in the city When it's lit up 
Jamie Cullum. He's a very nice gentleman. He's tiny. Not judging him for that. I'm just saying he's a tiny fella. Do you think it's okay for under 10s to play outdoors unsupervised? Well, it seems the vast majority of parents worry about letting their little ones out to play alone. A new... St- All right, Jamie. A new... St- talking of little ones. <laughs> a new study by the campaign group Make Time to Play reveals an average... On average, children are allowed to play outside in the street, age nine, visit the corner shop by the age of 11, and use public transport on their own once they're 12. But are we worrying unnecessarily? Are children getting out enough? Well, we'll be speaking to uh, Dr Linda Papadopoulos, who thinks letting our kids do these things at a young age is vital for their development. That's later on in the show. But first, Justin Dealey has been asking people in Hemel Hempstead what they think. Justin, where are you? Uh, I'm here with you in the oh, studio. I'm yeah, here. Sorry, I was... Ex- Hi. You, you, you Hi. never come in the studio. Yeah, yeah, I know. Today I thought, I'd, you know, make a bit of a change, okay. make a bit of an effort. And, um, I, do have it in my, I do have it in my contract that we don't share a studio uh, yeah. together. So. Same jacket as yesterday, just saying like, you know. Same, same attitude as yesterday, yeah. Justin. Mm. Let's focus on the 
the story in hand, yes. please. That's what we're here for. You've been speaking to people in Hemel Hempstead about this. I have. I went to my old school yesterday. I went to South Hill Primary School in Hemel Hempstead. It was a tough gig. I was surrounded by yummy mummies. I've not been to a school for a long time. They were there by the gate. So I was talking to the mums and I asked them, at what age would you let your child out unsupervised? And this is what they had to say. Elaine, here with your child today. He's nine years old. Would you ever let him out unsupervised? I have once already. <laughs> he just went to the local shop to get some sweets and came home. <laughs> yeah. How did it make you feel? Nervous, waiting for him to come back. Yeah, yeah. So it's happened once. Yeah. Is it going to happen again in the near future? Uh, not if I can help it. <laughs> it's too nerve-wracking. Just You just want to know that they're OK and uh, they're going to come home safe and they've crossed the roads OK. So, no, you don't need a phone. So. <laughs> and, and when do you think, just lastly, when do you think you might, well, you might feel comfortable letting them out unsupervised? Nine at the moment, you're still nervous. When do you think you might feel a bit more comfortable about these things? Well, he wants to walk home from school when he's in year six, so he'll be sort of ten going on eleven. But definitely when he's at senior school. But try and prolong it as long as I can. I am mean, yeah, because she's 12 goes to senior school and I don't let her play out in the street. I know her friends are allowed. I let her out occasionally, but she has to call me all the time. But I don't like it. You're a parent. It's your choice. You can do what you want, Tommy. Tell us why you won't let her out unsupervised, even at 12. I just don't think that they're mature enough at 12 these days, whereas when I was 12, I could go out Mm. on the street. And the streets around Hemel, I'm not a Hemel person. I'm from Mill Hill, so I don't know the streets very well either. So... Obviously, she gets peer pressure not going out and stuff, but I've said to her, that's up to them parents. I, I love you unconditionally, and I'll, I'll well, keep you by my side as long as I possibly can. Well, here with the very glamorous Dina, all the way from Italy. How are you today, Dina? I'm very well, thank you very much, Thanks, despite sir. the weather. Yeah, I know, it's not great. <laughs> um, you're here with a child today who's 10 years old. Would you let him play outside unsupervised? I will but I will only let him go to the playground, which is at the back of the house. So you can see your son at all times? Yes. He's not allowed to go to town or to go, not, you know, not further than around the block, really, around the house. When do you think that might change? Obviously, you're keeping a very close eye on things right now as a parent. When do you think that might change? What, two years, three years? I guess when he's going to be probably 13. I bet his friends love coming around to your house. I bet you make a mean pizza, don't you? I make him lots of mean meals, actually. <laughs> mean meals? So, so I've been told. Yeah, so. fantastic accent. Listen, thank you so much for your time. really That's appreciate right. it. That's all right. You're welcome. Thank one, you. One tip, Justin, and yes. just, just to save you any embarrassment in the okay. future. Okay. Don't flirt with the people you're doing boxes with. Uh, she was flirting with me. Thank you very much. Hey, listen, the, the great report, and we'll be talking about that uh, a bit later on. And dear listener, give me a call. Uh, at what age did you first go out and play on your own? 08459. Four double five, five double five. Just to flag up, yesterday, you, uh, Sophie Solaria, and other members of the BBC Three Counties team, uh, you were doing your maths GCSE. Yeah, we were, and I have to say, it was such a, a boring, dull experience. Uh, sitting in a room for a, for an hour and a half doing this maths exam, which I lasted back in what nineteen ninety six, and there was cheating going on. Who was doing the cheating? Well, Sophie Solaria, yeah. Ollie Bayliss, and Nick Coffer, all in the room together. Was, all, they, was Coffer cheating? Coffer was cheating as well. They took calculators oh. in there. You 
you weren't allowed calculators. They were making phone calls. What? What happened was, you had somebody taking the exam, and they'd sit down, oh, it was all nice and quiet in here, and then they left. So as soon as they left, people got their phones out. I actually walked out in the end because I was doing it for real. I was doing it seriously, and I was surrounded by cheating members. Cheating members of staff, can you believe that? And th- you, and I did I did look glimpse through, and I did see you taking it very seriously, yeah. and you, you just couldn't abide the cheating, and you had to no, leave. I had to leave in the end, yeah. Oh, mate, I'm sorry about it's that. Okay, it's fine. Okay, well, listen, we'll, listener, we'll, we'll, we'll put this out there. What have you cheated at? 08459 455 555. We've all cheated at something. I cheated on The Weakest Link when I won it. <laughs> yeah, I did. I cheated. I cheated. Doesn't surprise me. I shall tell you more about that later. Shut up. I'll tell you more about that later on. Thank you, Justin. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. M40 London bound, there's a lane closed. It's a broken down lorry that's blocking off lane one as you go between Stoke and Church at Junction 5 and High Wycombe at Junction 4. Traffic's still looking fine past that though. We've got the usual slowing spots of traffic along the M25. Anti-clockwise, it's heavy from Waltham Abbey into the roadworks as you go past Enfield at Junction 25. Busy then from the M1 round to Watford, Junction 21 to 19. And delays from Maple Cross to the M40, Junction 17 to 16. Routes into and out of London, well, the A1's already slow in Boreham Wood, southbound from Stirling Corner through to Apex Corner. M1's looking pretty clear for the moment, and the A1M is still looking clear on the cameras. And none of the other major routes across the three counties are being flagged up on the speed sensor, so the A5 through Dunstable looking all right for the time being as well. Trains and tubes running without problems. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. More from you in 15 minutes. Uh, Coming up, what have you cheated at? And also, would you really mind if a sex shop opened in your town? It's just a bit of harmless fun, isn't it? Here's Catherine Boyle. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Seven o'clock, the headlines. Milton Keynes Hospital accused of ageism. Developers move in on East Hart's Greenbelt and drug dealer caught out after posting on Gumtree. BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of a pensioner treated at Milton Keynes General are accusing the hospital of ageism. Pam Parker suspects staff didn't take her mother-in-law's complaints seriously because of her age. 82-year-old Joan Parker was admitted with a head injury in February. Pam says relatives had to repeatedly step in to ensure she received a basic standard of care. She would have definitely died. There is no doubt about it and there's other people in there that unless their families are fighting for them they will not get the care and there will be unnecessary deaths a sawn-off shotgun's been seized and a 19-year-old man arrested after dawn raids in Luton yesterday. Armed officers went to an address in the Runfold area thanks to a tip-off from a member of the public. The weapon and ammunition were hidden outside the house. It's thought the gun was stolen from its legitimate owner during a burglary in Hertfordshire two years ago. A public consultation's underway in central Bedfordshire that could stop sex shops and lap-dancing clubs opening in its town centres. Among the proposals is a ban on strip clubs and sex shops within 500 metres of schools, parks and churches, as well as close to community buildings and residential areas. East Hertfordshire should, could see 10,000 new homes being built. Proposals for the Gilston Park development are going up for public consultation later this summer, but it's causing concern in the community with locals worried about the loss of Greenbelt land. If the full development was to go ahead, 
said eight new schools would be built. Mary Parsons is a director with the developers behind the proposals, Places for People. She says people need to be realistic about Greenbelt land. What we're saying is, again, it's something that's necessary to achieve the homes that we need in this country. Let's actually work together in a responsible way that respects the landscape and do the strategic rollback that we need. A drug dealer has been caught out after trying to sell a bike stolen in Welling Garden City online. Problem was its owner spotted it on Gumtree. When police posing as potential buyers arrived at the home 22-year-old Joshua Wiggins shares with his mother, they found him riding it up and down the street. They also found hundreds of pounds worth of herbal cannabis. He's been handed a suspended jail sentence and ordered to carry out 120 hours of unpaid work, as well as paying £1,200 in prosecution costs. Sport and in tennis, Andy Murray returns to action today after missing the French Open tennis due to a back injury. He's playing his opening match at London's Queen Club against Francis Nicolas Mahou. The weather, cloudy with patchy rain and a top temperature of 20 degrees Celsius, that's 68 degrees Fahrenheit. And you can get the latest news and sports online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. You done? I'm done. Nice one. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's nice having a few days off. I'm all perky again. I'm tired. I'll give you that. You have a few days off and you get out of the routine of getting up at four o'clock in the morning. Once you're in the routine, it's kind of nice and you, you can manage it. But take a few days off and then getting up at four, it's like, uh, uh, oh, I can't do it. I can't. But it's good to be back. And I'm, I'm full of beans. Lots coming up between now and eight o'clock, including... Central Bedfordshire Council wants to change its sex licensing policy, which would make it difficult for sex clubs or even sex shops to open in certain areas. But really, is there anything wrong with a sex shop in the high street? They're in a lot of high streets all across the country. It's just a little bit of harmless fun, isn't it? We'll also be hearing from a family who believe their elderly relative would have died if they hadn't intervened during her time at Milton Keynes Hospital. And a charity says parents are too worried to give their children freedom. Well, at what age did you first play outside on your own? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call, 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Would you object to a lap dancing club in your town? Yeah, maybe, possibly. What about a sex shop? Well, since local residents kicked up a stink over the opening of a lap dancing club in a Bedfordshire town, it could soon become much easier to stop venues like this opening in town centres across the, uh, the county. Central Bedfordshire wants to update its sex licensing policy and has put a new one up for consultation. It will affect strip clubs and sex shops. But just because residents in one town, Ampthill, got so heated about it, has the council become a bit of a killjoy? We can speak now to Conservative Councillor Brian Spur, who's Central Bedfordshire Council's Executive Member for Sustainable Communities. Morning, Brian. What's wrong with sex shops? Nothing at all in the right place. Where is the right place? We don't think, well, we don't think it's in the middle of the high street. Um, And the telephone survey we did of over a thousand people, they don't think it should be in the high street. 
they think it should be away from vulnerable people, like schools, nurseries, um, churches, that sort of area. So where should they go? I um, don't really know, but um, the telephone survey we did, mm. the majority of people said it should be at least 500 yards away from those sort of areas. Uh, it's easy to say they, where they shouldn't be. It, it would be more helpful if an alternative had been put up. But in the middle of a high street, that's not near, necessarily near a school, is it? Not necessarily, but um, vulnerable people are walking past it all the time. It's, well, again, uh, the question, Brian, is if, if you can't have a sex shop in a high street uh, and it, it, it met the first criteria of, of not being near schools and churches, where do you have it? Um... <laughs> The, the, the survey, I'm sorry I'm ducking your question, the survey said um, that we did with the people yes. at least 500 yards, or metres rather, right. away from the area where there might be vulnerable people. So I don't know what that means. Back of somewhere else, um, away from that sort of area. I, I don't know what that means, the back of somewhere else. There is, there is nowhere else suitable then, is there? Uh, I'm sorry to press this point, Brian, no, but no, it, no, it is an, no, it is an important one, isn't it? No, you're absolutely fine. Um... Probably one of the reasons why we're doing the survey is to make, is to get people to tell us where they think they should go, um, so that we can, if we do license one, it's licensed in a sensible area. Don't think we need to broadcast sex shops in the middle of high streets, close to anywhere else. Don't think we need to have um, signs saying sex shop and this sort of thing. If if they are away, if they are away from the area there, then they don't cause us any problems, they don't cause the local residents any problems, and the people who want to use them can do. But places like Ann Summers, which I think is classified as a sex shop, it doesn't say sex shop, does it? No, we don't licence those, as far as I know. OK, so, so Ann Summers are OK on the high street, even though they sell all kinds of um, bedroom I, equipment? I, you're asking me a question I can't tell you the answer from. I don't know whether Ann Summers has to be licensed or not. OK, but you find that personally acceptable, even though they sell bedroom equipment? <laughs> And I'm being very tactful how I put that, Brian, as you should be with bedroom equipment. You are, especially with somebody who gets up so early in the morning. Yes. Um, not, not really. I don't personally. I'll answer it personally. Yeah. Um, I, I'd rather it sort of um, not, not in full glare and forefront or the rest of it. But it won't be my decision. It will be the decision of the people we consult, and we're going to consult as many as we possibly can. OK. So, um, so what are you hoping to achieve, Brian? That we don't don't get the issues like we got in, as you said, in Amptill. Um, an establishment being built in the middle of the town um, where most people don't want it. Um, if it had been in a, in a better area rather than in the very centre of the town, if you like, next door to Waitrose, um, isn't the right place to put it. It, that's what the telephone survey did. It was about. very discreet. I mean, the the the, uh, the lap dancing club is uh, is very discreet, isn't it? Or it was discreet. I know it's changed into a bar now. Yeah, you, you say it was very discreet. Um, I didn't think sort of um, flame flares going up and a big red carpet was discreet. But it was discreet that it was for sexual entertainment, wasn't it? It, it didn't necessarily advertise uh, uh, loudly that you would see boobs in there. No, that's because we made certain they couldn't advertise in that sort of way. Um, can I turn it around? Do you think that was the right place to put it? Um, do I think it was the right place to put it? Um, I, I, I'm not completely sure, but the, the point that you've raised about vulnerable people walking past and, and, and um, uh, being offended or being damaged by it, if it doesn't advertise what it is, if there aren't pictures of boobs and bums outside, then that isn't necessarily a problem, is it? No, not necessarily. 
but the people we talked to said that's not the place to put it um put put it away from the where the vulnerable people who are these who are these vulnerable people brian anybody under 16 right but if they don't know it's a lap dancing club then they can't be corrupted by it can they okay you, you're much younger than I, so you were at school. Um, God bless you. <laughs> you. You genuinely are. Um, and you were at school in a much um, shorter period of time than I was. I bet you knew where the sex shops were. Uh, I didn't. There weren't. I, was, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. I remember going into central London with my parents and seeing a shop with blacked out windows. This is in the days when you had to black out the windows. Uh, and uh, it's triple X. And I remember saying, Mum, Dad, what on earth is that? And they said, oh, you don't want to know. It's, it's not for you. They didn't, I didn't know where the sex shops were. OK, can you tell me what triple X means then? Uh, what, now? Yeah. Well, it means, it means it's very, very naughty. Does it? OK. I'll have to try one or two of those. So, uh, have you ever been inside a sex shop? Yeah, of course I have. Why? Because um, I worked in Denmark for years, and they have separate areas that you go that you go to. It's a tourist trap. You walk around it. If anybody's been to Amsterdam, there are areas that you walk to. Walk through. You just said it. If you go to the middle of London, there's areas in Soho that you walk past and see it all the time. But so you you've been in sex shops? Yeah, I walked into a sex shop because I had to see what what it was all about. Were you a vulnerable person? I don't think so. I think I was way into middle age by that time. But is it not a little hypocritical, Councillor, that, that you, you have visited sex shops, and boy, oh boy, those ones on the continent, they leave nothing to the imagination, and yet you don't want other people to have that opportunity here? No, I didn't say I didn't want to have the opportunity. I said I don't want it in the middle of the high street. Sorry, it's not me who's saying I don't want it in the middle of the high street. It's it's um, over a thousand people we telephone survey saying they don't want it in the middle of the high street or near schools or near churches or near those sort of people. Okay. What but was the pers- what was sur- th- if we do a survey? Yes. And the survey comes back saying, oh no, we don't agree. We really think they should be in the centre of towns. Then we will modify our license. What was the percentage breakdown for the survey? Eighty percent. Eighty percent. So that is that is significant. What happens now, councillor? Where, where, where do you take these figures, and what do you do with them? Sorry, I need to change that. It was eighty-eight percent. Okay, that's well. That's gone up by eight percent. What, what do you intend to do with these figures? We're, we're going out. For, you know, we're going out for consultation again on yep. changing it. Um, that that will go out to people when we get the result of that. It will go before our licensing committee, who will. Um, recommend the changing of the um, policy. And so this could ultimately mean that Central Bedfordshire will be a sex shop-free zone? No. It says that um, whatever the um, consultancy says, we will then... Sorry, whatever the consultancy survey says, we will be looking to do that. It won't be a sex-free or anything zone. It will be located in places that people think it's reasonable we've yet to establish what these reasonable places are that's the thing isn't it yeah i'm I'm not going to tell you where i think is a reasonable place because um the survey we do may tell me that they want something better or different to that but where would you like to see them (laughs) um away from vulnerable people not in the middle of the high street not with glaring lights outside not ones that when you walk down the high street you're going to turn around to your mum and dad and say what does triple x mean you don't get triple x anymore that was a 70s thing that doesn't that don't exist uh, any anymore so is this a, a real and a rapid case of people power do you think hope so not not to close places not to be against it but just to, to do the sensible thing 
Well, Councillor, it's lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. That's Councillor uh, Brian Spur. I have to say, that's got to be one of the oddest interviews uh, I've done in a long, long time there. He's uh, Central Bedfordshire Council's uh, executive member for sustainable communities. Well, where would you like to see sex shops then? We, we, it is easy, isn't it, to, to criticise and to ban and to uh, say, no, we don't want it here. Oh, no, don't do that. No, don't want it there. What's not so easy is to come up with an alternative. And these sex shops, they, there is obviously a market for them. Uh, pe- they, they make money. People want them. I was in Oxford Street in London the other day. I noticed uh, a, a large party of Muslim women uh, walking into an Ann Summers shop the other day. So people of all different backgrounds, all different ethnicities, religions, uh, they use them. So where do we put them? Where would you put a sex shop in your town? Or would you rather not see it at all? 08459 455 555. You can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. I apologise for keep swallowing. It's where I've ripped my tongue. Yeah, I've, ripped, I've got a ripped tongue. Uh, or you can send me a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. Put your name on it, please. Otherwise, it doesn't get read out. Just a very quick reminder as well, the, the 20 seconds before we go to Mr Adam Glynn. Uh, if you enjoy the show, but you, you think you've missed bits, you think, oh, no, 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 I missed, missed little bits. I've not heard all of the best bits. You can hear, there are two ways you can listen again. You can go to the BBC iPlayer, type in Ian Lee, it's I-A-I-N-L-E-E, uh, and you can listen to full shows there. Uh, or iTunes, Ian Lee, BBC, you get the weekly, in inverted commas, best of podcast, which we we choose the best bits, the funniest bits, the most controversial bits, the the best arguments, the nicest bits. We put them into one 40-minute lump and you can carry them around in your pocket. Isn't the future good? 08459 455555. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Delays finally starting to build on the M40 London-bound. There's still that lane closed off because of a broken-down lorry between Stoke and Church and High Wycombe, junctions 5 and 4, and traffic is starting to slow past there. It's the inside lane closed. Lanes 2 and 3 are where the traffic's getting through, and now it's starting to get busy. Southbound M1, heavy traffic from the Luton Airport Spur at junction 10 toward Redbourne at junction 9 for the A5. M25 anti-clockwise, there are delays entering the roadworks section from Waltham Abbey at junction 26 through to Enfield at 25. Then as you continue anti-clockwise, maybe 15 or 20 minutes worth of delays from St Albans at junction 21A round to Watford at junction 19. And it's pretty heavy from Maple Cross at 17 to the M40 at 16 as well. Then routes in toward London, the A10 slow through Chesant approaching the M25 then through Enfield once you're beyond the M25 and the A1 looking busy through Boreham Wood from Stirling Corner to Apex Corner. We've also got the disruption for flights today to and from France and across and through French Air space. This is because of industrial action by the air traffic control staff in France. If you're flying, do check with your airline before you head to the airport. If you're commuting anywhere by rail or by tube, your journey should be a good one this morning. Everything running fine. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Morning, it's 7.17. It's uh, Wednesday the 12th of June. I'm Ian Lee and these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of an elderly patient are accusing Milton Keynes General of ageism, saying the 82-year-old uh, would have died if they hadn't intervened. A sawn-off shotgun has been seized and a 19-year-old man arrested after dawn raids in Luton yesterday. 
In sport, the England under-21s manager, Stuart Pearce, says the players, rather than himself, need to take responsibility for three straight defeats at the European Football Championships in Israel. Coming up, we'll be talking to the family of an 82-year-old woman who say she would have died if they hadn't intervened in her care at Milton Keynes Hospital. BBC Three Counties Radio. Every weekday morning, questions are asked. What should the government do next to stop people smoking? Who do you blame for our failing high streets? Opinions are formed. There is no place in a civilised society for people like that. They should get real. Part of me says it is wrong. And you get to have your say. I think the whole thing is absolute garbage, frankly. Join in with the big phone-in from nine. Not everyone will agree. What an interesting conversation. The JVS Show, weekday mornings from nine. On BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 four double five five double five. Now, the family of an 82-year-old woman say she would have died if they hadn't intervened in her care at Milton Keynes Hospital. Joan Parker was admitted in February with a bad head injury after collapsing at home in Two Mile Ash. It wasn't until two weeks later that she was sent to the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford to have an operation to remove bleeding on the brain. Well, Joan's daughter-in-law, Pam Parker, joins me in the studio. Morning, Pam. Uh, tell us uh, what happened. Joan collapsed at home and was taken to... Milton Keynes General? Yes, she had been on the floor for over 11 hours and when we found her she was in a very, very um, poorly way. She was rushed on blue lights into the um, A&E and unfortunately that's where it all uh, unravelled and um, she had a, a apparent head injury anybody could have seen the head injury how obvious were the head was the head injury there was a huge big swelling and there was bruising and during um her time in the a e it was traveling down her face and very very apparent and they didn't check for the head injury they didn't examine that nope and on her records even to today there's no nothing on there that actually says that she had a head injury that day although we kept telling them and asking them to give a pain relief for it, and she was slumped to one side towards the head injury. So she's 82. She's obviously in discomfort. Uh, there's a, an injury on her head that, that is obvious and is, is seemingly growing worse. What did, they, what did the hospital say? What, what were they doing then? Uh, for many hours, she just laid there, and she was just begging for... Uh, she just kept saying to us, I'm, I'm really ill, I'm really ill. And um, she was in and out of you know consciousness and um and we just kept insisting please please give us some fluids it's essential to head injuries to have fluids Mm. put some fluids up and give us some pain relief until a doctor can see her how long did it take for them to to put her on a drip she, I, I, and I, I haven't got the times right in front of me, but yeah. approximately one thirty, she went in, and she didn't get any sort of pain relief, and t- until four thirty. And she that was, afternoon. and she was suffering for that whole time. Very, really, really suffering. And I just kept saying to him, she's been on the floor for eleven hours in a very, very um, heated house. She was dehydrating. You could see it. Uh, it, it took several days, didn't it, for, for the scan to, to happen, which she, revealed the bleeding on the brain? Yeah, she went in on the Saturday and she wasn't actually scanned until the Tuesday. And she w- wouldn't have been scanned, we believe, if we had not kept on and on and on. And the scan uh, revealed bleeding on the brain? 
Yeah. At any point, did any of anybody in the hospital say, "Oh, I'm really sorry. This is uh, this has taken a couple of days. We should have done this straight away." Uh, not in the beginning. Um, in the beginning, they was putting her in a chair, sitting her up, and she was still slumped to one side. They was not feeding her, and we had to go in and feed her. And and you know, we we t- started taking pictures of all this event. Mm. And they, they gave her the wrong food as well. What, what was the issue yeah, with the food? Yeah, the, the issue is she was supposed to be on a red tray um, uh, project, and the red tray project means that, you know, she should get particular food and that the staff should be monitoring what she takes. Mm. Um, unfortunately, Joan had cancer um, of the throat, and she can't speak to anybody um, anyway right. and communicate. But because of this illness as well, she was in a poorly way. But all they wanted to do was give her um, physio and try and get her up, not even addressing the head injury. Uh, and so, sorry, just go back to the, the red tray food. What food was she supposed to be having and what food did they give her? Right. She, um, uh, once she was laying there, you know, really poorly, um, she was on, put on a red tray diet. Mm. In front of her, we would come, we would find her, uh, you know, semi-unconscious laying in the bed and in front of her was a tray. The tray wasn't a red tray, it was a normal tray, and there was a cheese sandwich on there and a yoghurt. And then when we, um, you know, created about this and said that she's not being fed, still no drips up, you know, she went a good two weeks with no no fluids or Mm. anything. And um, they turned around then and um, said they would do something about it. But when we looked on the tray was another person's name on the tray. It wasn't even her food that was supposed to be in front of her. She had a second scan, didn't she? And then that that was what got her sent to the John Radcliffe. Yeah, well, what happened is every day we would go in there and she would be just lying in the bed, um, not been fed. And one of the nurses on this particular day said that she had been up and walking around. And another nurse came up to us and said, that is not true. Mrs. Parker is deteriorating. Mm. And sorry, um, and someone, a nurse told you another that she'd been up nurse and did. Yes, yes, and good on her, good on her. And um, she she turned around and said, um, "That is not true." Mrs. Parker has been de- deteriorating, and another disabled. Um, patient was getting in her wheelchair each evening to get out and sit with with her while she was having nightmares and she was told off for pressing her button as well i'm staggered by all of this absolutely she went to the john radcliffe hospital in oxford yeah what happened is is it was really strange because we had been fighting every single day for this this strip to go up Mm. just to give her fluids because of the head injury and it's essential to head injuries and um on the morning that she was being transferred to john radcliffe um we went in there she was sitting up smiling of which you know once again we've issued the photos of and she was sitting up smiling it was a different woman Mm. But they had only the only reason she was is that they had put a drip up on her, yeah. and they had put a drip up for her to be transferred to the John Radcliffe. And this is you, you, this has raised questions in your mind about the way elderly people are treated in hospital. It, absolutely, and and maybe not just elderly people. It's it's people that are prepared to fight for what they get because we insisted on that second scan and that second scan revealed that that she was now fighting for her life and and her brain was being 
um, you know, squashed by the blood. And, and uh, Joan's back at Milton Keynes Hospital, is that right? Yes, she is. She got discharged from a unit um, and we once again, we're trying to help her rehabilitation. But unfortunately, she was discharged from that unit and she wasn't well and she collapsed at home that night. So it's just the case of people listening to you. Mm. How, she, she is back in hospital. How's she doing, though? Is she, is she all right? Yeah, well, um, so far she's, she seems to be touch wood, you know, on the mend again. She had a chest infection. Mm. Um, and the, the hospital and the unit that discharged her have said that um, we're going to have a meeting with them Tuesday about her progression and what we can do for the future. But Joan, it's worth pointing out that Joan always looked after the elderly. She was a warden in a sheltered housing and now Joan's being refused any sort of help towards sheltered housing. Well, listen, Pam, she's lucky to have you fight in her corner. Absolutely. I, I, wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't take you on. So, uh, <laughs> you know, well done. And send her our best. And I hope things work yes. out well. And we'll, we'll keep following this story. If that's Thank okay. you very much indeed. There we go. That's uh, Pam Parker. Thank you very much. Right. 08459 455. 555 is the telephone number. If you want to give us a call. One thing we're asking this morning. Okay. Is at what age did you go out and play on your own? There's a charity that's worried that we don't let kids out on their own early enough. I remember going out when I was, I'm sure it was seven, possibly even six, and being told, yeah, go out, just don't go off the block, don't cross any of the roads. Now, our block on the Britwell Estate in Slough, Monksfield Way I used to live at, uh, for those who know it, you won't, uh, our block was quite big, so we could go quite a distance before crossing a road. I was at seven. I'm thinking my nephew is seven years old now. I can't imagine him being let out on his own. He's seven. Seven's really young. You're a kid. You are a kid. When you're seven, you think you're grown up and everything. You know everything. But I I can't imagine. I certainly wouldn't let my boys out when they got to seven. Uh, 08459 455 555. At what age did you first go out on your own as a kid? And what age would you let your kids out? on their own. 08459 455 555. You can uh, go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR or you can send me a text. Now, if you send me a text, start your text 3CR, put your name on it, please. I get complaints people say, you didn't read my text out. I sent you a text, why didn't you read it out? Put your name on it and make it good. Those are the two requirements. It's got to be half decent and it's got to have your name on it and then you stand a good chance of having it read. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The M40, London bound, one lane closed off because of a broken down lorry between Stoke and Church and High Wycombe, junctions 5 and 4. It's looking quite slow past there. The A1, as you come toward the Black Cat roundabout on the southbound side, queues are starting to build as you come down toward that uh, junction with the Great Barford Bypass. Though along the A421, traffic's moving okay for the moment. M1 southbound, heavy traffic from Luton Airport toward Redbourne, junction 10 to 9. The A10 through Chesant looks like queues are starting to build just a little bit from College Road down toward Winston Churchill Way. The M25 anti-clockwise delay starting this morning at Waltham Abbey, heading into the roadworks section as you go past the A10, and then from St Albans to Watford, taking 15 or 20 minutes to get through the traffic. 
and it's busy from Maple Cross to the M40 as well. And if you're driving into London on the A1, through Boreham Wood delays from Stirling Corner to Apex Corner. Trains and tubes, meanwhile, looking absolutely fine. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much indeed. At what age did you first go out to play on your own? 08459 455 555. We'll find out more after the news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning. It's 7.30. The headlines. The family of an elderly patient are accusing Milton Keynes General Hospital of ageism, saying the 82-year-old would have died if they hadn't intervened. A sawn-off shotgun's been seized and a 19-year-old man arrested after dawn raids in Luton yesterday. And a public consultation's underway in central Bedfordshire that could stop sex shops and lap dancing clubs opening in its town centres. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. The Formula One world champion Sebastian Vettel has agreed a new contract extension with Milton Keynes-based Red Bull. He'll now be with the team until the end of the 2015 season. Vettel's been part of the team since 2009, claiming 29 victories, 39 pole positions and winning three successive titles since 2010. England's under-21 side are heading home from the European Football Championships in Israel, having failed to win a single game. They completed a disappointing tournament last night with a 1-0 defeat to the hosts in Jerusalem. After the match, England's manager Stuart Pearce had this to say when asked by reporters who was to blame for the defeat. I'm the manager of the football team, but I think today the players should. What do you think? Do you think on that performance the players should take responsibility or myself? I think tonight maybe the players should take some responsibility personally. Sergio Garcia has once again apologised for his controversial comment about Tiger Woods before last month's PGA Championship. He's been speaking, speaking at Merion Golf Club where the US Open begins tomorrow. Here's our correspondent Ian Carter. A clearly contrite Garcia completed an uncomfortable news conference hoping the controversy surrounding him and Woods is now at an end. The Spaniard has yet to apologise to the world number one for the infamous fried chicken comment last month. Their paths only coincided for a brief handshake on the range so far this week. But Garcia has left a note in Wood's locker. With connotations of racial stereotyping in the offending remark, Garcia was asked by a black reporter about the wider impact of the comment. The Spaniard said that's why he has said sorry, because he hurt a lot of people. And that's the latest news and sport. More from me at 8 o'clock. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 is the phone number if you want to give us a call. Coming up, cheats, housing, and at what age do you let your children out to play on their own? But first of all, yesterday you may have taken a maths exam. You may have done your maths GCSE, or maybe it was your kids or your grandkids who can do it. You can bet that by the time the results come out, there'll be people saying, oh, they've got too easy these days. Oh, no. Oh, GCSEs are too easy. Far too easy. Well, it's one of the reasons that the government is looking at changing them. Well, some members of the BBC Three Counties team took that exam themselves under exam conditions on the top floor of Three Counties Towers. We can tell you how they did when the results come out, sometime in August, I think. But here's what happened yesterday when one of my breakfast, uh, or two of my breakfast colleagues, Sophie Solaria and Justin Dealey, unpacked their pencil cases and sat down for their maths GCSE. Dealey, you're at the front. Sophie, you're there behind him. Yes, sir. 
We provided you with pencil, ruler, protractor, compasses, but use black ink when answering the questions. Gareth, I have a question. Yeah? What if he starts to disturb me? If Deedly starts doing anything, put your hand up and yeah. I'll come and sort out the issue. I need a disclaimer to say that you asked me to sit this exam when? I asked you a couple of days ago, didn't I? You asked me yesterday. Yesterday, but I've heard that your dad knows a little bit about maths. He does. But that is why I'm not good. I rely on him to do everything for me. Well, I'm sure that his math genes would have rubbed off onto your genes. They haven't, and my disclaimer is to say I got a C in the past, and this isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> right, ladies and gentlemen, settle down, settle down. It's 9am on Tuesday morning, which is time for the GCSE maths paper across the whole of the country. Exam conditions, make sure you read everything thoroughly, make sure you answer every question. Good luck, you've got one hour and 45 minutes. You can turn your papers over. I'm sitting behind a boy that won't shut up. He keeps texting me, telling me that he wants to go for a smoothie. He's not doing his work. He's talking while he's writing. And actually, I think he was the boy in school that was the biggest distraction. Justin, shh. Well, we were told at the start of the exam that we weren't allowed to have calculators. As I look under the desk... What's this? That isn't a calculator. That's your, my phone that you keep texting me on. It's not a calculator. You've been rumbled. I haven't been... <laughs> Rumbled. Mm. I haven't been rumbled. That is you texting me. Stop texting me. Show me what's under the desk now. I'm going to show you what's under the oh, desk. Cheap skirt. <laughs> Justin. What have you got? My phone. It's a calculator. It's not. A f- it's a calculator. It's not a calculator. <gasps> oh my goodness. Completely get out of my face. Wowzers. I'm trying to work. We've discovered a cheat at the BBC. How does that make you feel? Justin. Hmm. I'm, I'm serious. People are listening to this. Yeah, I don't yeah. Our listeners are. Yeah, you're right. I don't want people to think that I'm a cheat. I'm not. You a are. Cheat. Come on. I have to say that you are probably one of the most irritating people I've ever had to be in school with. Well, because I caught you. No, because you're because you're talking to me during an exam. Because you're cheating. Sorry, Ollie. Sorry. Just admit you were cheating, Sorry. and we'll draw a line under it. I'm not admitting anything. That's why I'm the top reporter at BBC Three Counties Radio because <laughs> I get stories from nowhere. <laughs> Right, excellent. It's uh, 11.45. I've just left the exam room. After Justin Dealey left, it was a far easier exam, despite the fact that I now have to go and clear my name because I am not a cheat. Justin? Well, there you go. That's Sophie Solaria and uh, Justin Dealey. Children, really. Kids. But, but, there was cheating taking place. Very, very naughty. I want to know when you cheated. What things have you cheated at? I, I won... Television's the weakest link. Yeah, I know, I know. It was. I was on the weakest link. I won it. I can reveal here, <clears throat> excuse me, there was a little bit of cheating going on on my part. I know, it, listen, it was for charity. I won £20,000 for charity. I got a nice fee as well for going on. Don't worry, it wasn't completely altruistic. But I cheated. The final voting round, it's me, stood next to me, uh, is Eddie Large, and then over there is Jim Bowen, right? Now... I voted for Bowen, my first vote, Bowen. I looked to my left and I saw that Eddie Large had voted for me. So I had to, I should have voted for Eddie because I had to statistically hope that that, um, Jim Bowen had also voted for Eddie, then he'd be off. So seeing that he'd voted for me, I kind of crossed out what I'd written and I wrote Eddie Large. Got him voted off. Wonderful. Then in the final round, me and Jim Bowen were playing for £20,000. My final question is, the owl and the pussycat went to see what was the food they were eating. Anyone know? Anyone know? Well, it's quince, okay? I didn't quite know what quince was, though, and I thought it was quince. 
but quins are when you have like five kids so i said quins and Anne robinson said how do you spell that oh yeah right okay the pressure's on q u i n i was about to say z in fact, I started to say Zed, and I heard Jim Bowen, because he's an old man. Sometimes, you know when old men, they say what they're thinking. Like, the word comes out, but they don't mean it to. And I heard him go, C. And I went, oh, yeah, C-E. Boom, £20,000 to the charity of my choice. Pow, 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 in your face, Bowen, an old school comedy. So I cheated on The Weakest Link. What have you cheated on, dear listener? Oh, wait, 459 455 555. There's no shame in it. We've all done it. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, this morning uh, we are talking about proposals to build 10,000 new houses in East Hertfordshire. The plans will be going out to public consultation later this summer. And if they were to be approved, the homes will be built across Greenbelt land. Along with housing, the proposals include six new primary schools and two new secondaries. But should these homes be allowed to be built in this area of Greenbelt land at all? Mary Parsons, who is a director with the developers Places for People, says they want views from the East Hearts community to tell them what they think. I think both councils, both East Hearts and Harlow, are consulting with local people on locations for growth in the local plan processes. So we're not trying to cut across that. What we're saying here is, come and talk to us. This is a major decision on where housing should be delivered in your area. And listen to what we're actually proposing. Look at what's on the table. And if you feel that this isn't the right area for housing to happen then think about well where would it go where are we going to deliver in east hearts i think they're saying sort of 17,000 to 18,000 new homes harlow saying 16,000 you know people need homes in this area and we have an opportunity here to be able to create something special that can really make a wider positive impact on the area as well well joining me now is councillor eric buckmaster who sits on east hertfordshire district council eric it's a positive it will have a positive impact on the area um well i have to disagree because i think this is actually a, a long line of misleading uh, statements from places for people first they were telling the community the development is inevitable because it was in the east of in- england plan when that went they tried to encourage a form of nimbyism by telling the rest of east hearts that they could avoid any development in their towns and villages by having all the housing going north of harlow and now they're telling us that 10,000 new homes in the same location is little more than a string of utopian villages. In reality, it'll be an urban area the size of Bishop Stortford. So the message from Stop Harlow North has always been consistent. The infrastructure, roads, rails, sewage, water, education, health won't cope. Well, won't they introduce the, the infrastructure to cope with this? Well... The evidence is still being gathered around what's needed, to be honest, because the proposal's premature. Officers at East Hearts are working really hard to gather data. There's still data that hasn't come in yet. And as Mary Parsons said, it, it could be a range of actually twelve to 17,000 houses across the district. And the district has a duty to have an ongoing five-year supply of houses. When the data is in, it will go to consultation later in the year with the aim of producing a plan that supports the entire district. Homes need to be built, don't they, in Hertfordshire? Of course they do, and that's why the, the district plan is in process, and there's a process for looking at it so that they go in the right places. Where is the right place? Um, well, the date is still premature, as I said. Um, there's uh, another meeting of the district plan- panel at East Hearts next month, 
Um, I haven't seen the published information. It will be um, coming. Are there up. are there any places that spring to mind where you could build ten thousand homes? There aren't any places that spring to mind that can build ten thousand homes. Um, but I'm sure that uh, once we look at where houses are needed, and it has to be according to population growth, according to places that can take it, then the as I said, the plan will need to go to consultation. People people will have a chance. It isn't just about places of people. It's about the whole district. It's about um, all of the um, neighbouring districts. Eric, consulting. Go on. We have we have a, we have a huge shortage of housing that's going to get worse over the next few years. Isn't part of the problem councils and councillors that um and are, that don't make decisions, that keep throwing things out to consultation, when this sounds like a great opportunity for 10,000 houses to be built? Like a huge bonus, surely, for, to, for Hertfordshire's housing problem. Well, uh, I don't disagree with that. There's a process that all councils need to follow legally. They have to go out to consultation. The next stage of consultation for East Hearts is the preferred options. That has to be robust. It has to be based on data. Um, people will have a chance to have their say, and then the full council will vote on it. So nobody's umming and ahhing, and people are, uh, uh, we're actually urging other councils and other bodies to actually get along and move theirs forward so that we could all make a decision. But you've just said you don't have any, uh, any other ideas of where ha- these houses could go. Isn't not, that being not unhelpful? 10,000 in one place. What we're saying is that 10,000 in one place and particularly there won't work. I'm sure there'll be a level of development in all areas across East Hearts. We have to just make sure that that what um, ultimately goes into the district plan stands scrutiny and will work and and provide for the next 20 years. So you're not against the number of 10,000 houses, but maybe you'd like to see 500 here, a couple of thousand there, and it's spread out. Well, as I said, the range across East Hearts will be 12 to 17,000. It's now looking that it could be the upper limit of that, owing to population forecast, um, but not 10,000 in one place. Imagine building another town like the size of Bishop's Dortford in that particular area. It just won't work. Um, Just take the roads. Most of the roads in the area are graded black, according to latest studies, because they're at uh, absolute capacity. So I don't know what kind of infrastructure they have in mind building, but this won't work. 10,000 in one place is in the interest of places for people, not the people of Harlow or East Hearts. Eric, I appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for coming on. Okay, thank you. Councillor Eric Buckmaster sits on the East Hertfordshire District Council. It is that thing, isn't it? These houses, not necessarily these houses, but some houses have got to go somewhere. And again, it's it's another councillor... Um, and it's similar to the, the gentleman we were talking about, the, the, the sex shops. Doesn't want them to go in a certain place, but is unable to offer any other suggestions. And I do think it, it is easy to say, no, don't do that, don't put that there. We don't want that there. But I think if you do say that, you have to be able to come up with alternatives. You have to be able to say, no, we don't want the 10,000 houses here, but... I know somewhere really good where we could build 2,000 houses and then I know another little spot where we could put 500 houses and then you have to be able to come up with alternatives. I do think just constantly... Listen, 10,000 houses, it it is a lot. Of course it is. And it would change that area completely. But to continually block and to continually say, no, 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 without offering alternatives, without offering compromises, I don't know how particularly helpful... 
that is. 08459 455 555. Somebody who's very helpful, is the kind of thing a proper DJ would say, is Adam Glynn with The Travel. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Absolutely seamless. The A1 southbound, we've got delays as you come from St Neots down toward the Black Cat roundabout. It's looking pretty slow around there. If you're continuing down the A1M, there are delays from Hitchin towards Stevenage, junction 8 to 7, maybe 10 or 15 minutes taking you to get through the traffic there. And then if you're using the A1 as your route into London, it's looking very slow in the usual spot from Stirling Corner down to Mill Hill Circus. On the M40, London-bound, one lane closed off because of a broken-down lorry between Stoke and Church and High Wycombe, junction 5 and 4. Delays now of around 25 minutes past there, so it's definitely looking busier. The M1 southbound, there are delays from the Luton Airport Spur at junction 10 through to Redbourne at junction 9 anti-clockwise m25 queues this morning start off as you come from waltham abbey past enfield into and through the roadworks section as you come toward the a1m at junction 23 then slow moving from the m1 to watford junction 21 to 19 and also busy from maple cross to the m40 junction 17 to 16 trains and tubes looking good we've had no disruption on the rails on uh, the flight situation at the moment if you're flying from Luton disruption to flights to and from France and across French airspace because of industrial action being taken by the air traffic control staff in France check with your airline before you head off to the airport Adam Glynn BBC Three Counties Radio thank you Adam more from him in 15 minutes 7.46 Wednesday the 12th of June I'm Ian Lee these are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio the family of an elderly patient is accusing Milton Keynes General of ageism saying the 82 year old would have died if they hadn't intervened a sawn off shotgun has been seized and a 19 year old 19 year old man arrested after dorm raids in Luton yesterday in sport, Andy Murray plays Nicholas Mahut in the second round of the grass court event London's Queen's Club today. Coming up, do you think it's OK for kids under 10 to play outdoors unsupervised? 08459 455 555. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, good morning. We've got a really murky, misty start out there. Lots of low cloud around and caught up with that. Some drizzle as well, but it is lifting and there's a window of slightly better weather on the way to us just for a short time. So I should make the most of that if you can. We've got some bright or sunny spells that are going to break through in the second part of the morning and around about lunchtime and that will help to lift the temperature to the top teens. One or two places might just scrape a 20 or 21 out of the day seeing as it has been a fairly mild start at 14 degrees in Luton at the moment. There is a breeze blowing from a southwesterly direction, and then as we go through the afternoon, it's going to turn rather wet. I think mid afternoon onwards, we'll start to see the first showery outbreaks of rain, and then it will become more persistent and in places quite heavy as we go through the first part of this evening, and that includes the rush hour as well. So, some rather large puddles to splash through, I think, as we go through this evening's rush hour. Once that's moved away overnight, it's going to turn really very windy for the time of year, especially in the early hours of the morning. We could be getting gusts of up to 40 miles per hour so it's worth watching that situation because of course the trees are in full leaf and uh, as I say it's a rather unusual situation. Mild night 13 or 14 degrees Celsius, plenty of cloud around and that continues into the first part of tomorrow, that blustery feel to things, one or two showers dotted around here and there but becoming largely dry and rather more sunny as we go through the latter part of the day with temperatures reaching 18 or 19 degrees Celsius looks like Friday and the weekend is going to be rather unsettled as well, you'll dodge some showers but there should be some sunshine in between those and again temperatures will be up to about 18 or 19 degrees celsius 
Thank you very much. Tackling your consumer problems. Sylvie wasn't happy with the quality of her telephone line. Kate's having problems with her leaky garage roof. The JVS Show. Five times they've not turned up for the appointment. I've still got the leak, which is obviously getting worse. Fighting for your rights. I went to speak to your telephone company and I said, look, what on earth is going on? The JVS Show. Have they managed to fix the problem with the internet? Yeah, it's fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. It could not, well, it would not have happened without your intervention. If you have a consumer problem, we can do the same for you. It took one phone call from yourselves, whereas I've been trying for over six months. The JVS Show, weekday mornings from nine on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, when you were a kid, at what age were you allowed to play out on your own? I seem to remember being allowed out at the age of seven. I wasn't allowed to cross any of the roads. I did sometimes. And I wasn't allowed to go off our block. Well, it seems the majority of modern parents worry about letting their kids out to play alone. A new study by the campaign group Make Time to Play reveals, on average, children are allowed to play outside in the street age nine, visit the corner shop by the age of 11, and use public transport on their own once they're 12. But are we worrying unnecessarily? And are children getting out enough? Well, here's one parent our reporter Justin Dealey spoke to at South Hill Primary School in Hemel Hempstead. Elaine, here with your child today. He's nine years old. Would you ever let him out unsupervised? I have once already. <laughs> he just went to the local shop to get some sweets and came home. <laughs> yeah. How did it make you feel? Nervous, waiting for him to come back. Yeah, yeah. So it's happened once. Yeah. Is it going to happen again in the near future? Uh, not if I can help it. <laughs> it's too nerve-wracking. Just you just want to know that they're okay and uh, they're going to come home safe and they've crossed the roads okay. So no, you don't need a phone. So. <laughs> and when do you think? Just lastly, when do you think you might? Well, you might feel comfortable letting him out unsupervised. Nine at the moment, you're still nervous. When do you think you might feel a bit more comfortable about these things? When he wants to walk home from school when he's in year six, so he'll be sort of ten going on eleven. But definitely when he's at senior school. But try and prolong it as long as I can. We can talk now to the ambassador of the campaign, Dr Linda Papadopoulos. Good morning, Dr Linda. Good morning. What are parents most concerned about? I think it's, it's safety, isn't it? I think there's this idea that we're much more sensitised to bad stories in the news, to the, to the frankly, millions of, of okay stories about, about kids doing things. And it's understandable. I'm a parent. I completely understand that you want to keep your children safe. But it is about striking that balance, isn't it, between what the real dangers are. For example, you know, the road safety, uh, I, I, oftentimes to some extent the stranger danger, which I think is, is much more overstated, sadly, in our minds because of what we see on the news. Um, and, and children having the skills to, to, to cope with those sort of basic things about, you know, where to cross the road, who to speak to and who not to, and so on. There is a great fear, isn't there? You mentioned the stranger danger. There is a great fear that there are paedophiles everywhere. Now, that's obviously not true, but mm-hmm. people, because it makes front-page news all the time, people do worry about that, don't they? They do. They, they really do. And, I, you know, and I think it is, it, it is like watching something on the television with, a, you know, with an airplane falling out of the sky. Of course, there, you know, that happens. Absolutely it does. And that it doesn't mean you mustn't take precautions and, and go on a, you know, a good airline and ensure that it's, it's something good. And, and like 
likewise, there are people out there who, who you know, who, who may do bad things to kids, but the vast majority are not. And I think it's about um, ensuring that your child has the tools to be able to, to know who to speak to, to walk together in pairs, um, if, you know, to, to ensure they let you know when you get there if that's an issue, to do a trial run with them several times, to raise how and why and what may happen and how to deal with it. So, you know, it's, and no one's saying the dangers aren't there. What I think what I am saying is that they are often very much overstated in our minds. And frankly, with some simple precautions, you can um, ensure that your child kind of is, has the best of both worlds. I Why guess. is it important, uh, Doctor, to let our children do these things at a young age? at a young age, it's at the right age, and I think it's about uh, it's about building. So if you start off by, you know, allowing your child, you know, to, to for example, play out in the backyard, and then, you know, um, maybe when they're a little bit older to, to walk over next door and ask their friend if they want to play, you know, once you're looking at them and seeing it and discussing it with them, it's just the same way you teach them to ride a bike. You wouldn't put them on a bike and go, there you go. You'd, you'd start off with training wheels then you'd, and holding them, you'd stop holding them and so on and so forth. And it's the same idea. Things have changed. Listen, I grew up in the 70s and I remember being allowed out sort of when I was six, probably about seven, until quite late at night. Not, I mean, not that mm-hmm. late. Until it, we, we, we would play outside and when it got dark, we had to go in. That was kind of uh, the rule. And that just doesn't happen at all anymore. No, it, it, it's, it's, it's different days today. And, and, um, and I look, the, the idea of can Johnny come out and play, it, it doesn't exist the way that it did in my day either. Um, and, and I think perhaps, you know, it's, it's about finding a way that, you know, takes into account you know, the different road conditions of the day or the different urban culture of the day, but still gives children a sense of volition over their environment. Mm. For example, we know that kids that do a little bit more walking when they're 11 and 12 actually tend to see the world as a less scary place than children that are driven around everywhere. So, you know, it, believe me, I'm a very, uh, you know, I'm a very Greek mother. I'm not the one, I'm not, these things don't come easy to me, but I do recognise that for my little girl, it's about striking that balance. So, listen, my wife's half Greek, and so I've, I've, <laughs> my, my boy's, my eldest is with my, with my Greek mother-in-law at the moment, oh, and she yeah. won't let him do anything. Yeah. Oh, 30, no. 35, it'll be fine, right? Well, well, well even then, it's all, it's all, pop, 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 no, stop him from doing that. Oh, he's, he's a three-year-old boy, let him have a little oh, wrestle on the floor. <laughs> how old, how old is your little girl? Jessie's ten. Ten, okay, and what, what? Uh, responsibilities does she, does she have? What things is she allowed to do that perhaps other ten-year-olds aren't? Well, I don't think she does many things at ten-year-olds, right. but she does, she'll do things like, for example, when she's at her friend's house, um, then they go, their, their other friend is two doors down. If she lets us know, they can walk over two or three doors uh, down together, which, you know, has just started doing this you know, this year. You know, she's at the same time, you know, she's um, when she's at, um, at sleepovers or whatever, the mother will often call and say, you know, if I you know, pop next door for a minute to get something is okay if they're, you know, they're playing upstairs. So they're little bits and pieces that she didn't do, for example, the year before. And we're starting to build on it like that. Uh, it, it's odd, isn't it? Because I, I say I grew up uh, where I was allowed out at the age of seven. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine letting my boy out when he's only three, but when he gets seven, I couldn't imagine that. And my seven-year-old nephew, I couldn't imagine him going out yeah. and playing in the street on his own. Well, seven may be early these days. Yeah. Seven may be, you know, and, and it's different streets where there were to a point, but it doesn't mean he can't play out in the garden. It doesn't mean he can't play on the front yard. And I think it is about, okay, maybe he can't go out on the street, but maybe in the backyard while I comfortably sit inside and sit yeah. staring at them is a okay and that's that's the way that it's tweaked <laughs> yeah uh, dr linda papadopoulos oh, uh, pleasure to speak to you thank you very much indeed well what age did you go out and play on your own i remember going to the shops at the age of seven to the wentworth shops in in uh, in slough it i'm trying to do the journey in my head it's probably 10 minute walk 
there, ten minutes back, going to the shops, buying some comics. Do you know what I was probably doing at the age of seven? I was probably buying smokes for my dad. I know, isn't that terrible? The 70s were mental. I would have gone to Bunce's uh, and um, bought some uh, cigarettes for my dad at the age of seven. That's mad. It is weird, isn't it, what we used to do in the olden days. People were thick in the olden days. Well, uh, Jonathan is is, uh, picking this up after nine o'clock and he's asking, would you advise parents to let their under-10s play out uh, alone? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Uh, we've got a text uh, from Leslie in Watford. I used to walk two infants. Uh, to, oh, sorry, I used to walk two infants school on my own, crossing two busy roads en route. I'll be out playing from about five years of age, and it was. I don't want to do one of those nostalgia things. Do you remember um, Space Hoppers and Spangles? No, we, we'll, we'll never be doing that phone in. But the age of seven, come. I didn't have a watch. When it starts getting dark, you come back in. And it was, when I couldn't see the ball I was kicking or the stones I was throwing, we'd go back in. Could be out all day. Weird. 08459 455 555. And on a slight tangent, after members of my team, my team, took their maths GCSE yesterday, they were, we were talking, oh, pop upstairs, look. It's, they're all really quiet, they're all taking this really seriously. No, they weren't. They were messing around, I nearly saw then. They were messing around and cheating. They had calculators and phones. It was awful. Well, what things have you cheated at? I cheated at the weakest link. I won it. £20,000 for charity. I know, it's, it was galling. It was just under. It was about £19,850 for charity. OK, thanks very much, guys. Uh, but what things have you cheated at? Driving test? Exams? What have you done? You probably can cheat at a driving test. I would have thought a few quid slipped into the examiner's hand would, would have worked sometimes. There was a thing, wasn't I remember when I, we, I was doing my driving test that, that, that some girls would dress up... How can I put this politely? I can't. Tarty. Because it, if you got a certain driving instructor, driving examiner, you were more likely to pass if you had a short skirt on. I know it's terrible, isn't it? 08459 455 555. What things have you cheated at? <laughs> Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. If you're making your journey to work by train or tube this morning, you should be all right because everything seems to be running fine with no problems or delays. Roads quite busy. M40 London bound, one lane closed off, a broken down lorry between Stoke and Church and High Wycombe Junctions 5 and 4. It's taking maybe 25 minutes to get through the traffic that's been building there. The A404 into High Wycombe is certainly looking very slow this morning as well. Delays on the M1 southbound from Junction 11 for the A505 down toward 10 at the Luton Airport Spur. The A1 from St Neots toward the Black Cat Roundabout, it looks like queues are building. The A1M, there are delays on the speed sensors from Hitchin through to Stevenage, junction 8 to 7. On the M25, we've got patches of slow-moving traffic anti-clockwise from Waltham Abbey to Enfield into the roadworks, then through the roadworks past the A1M junction at 23. From Junction 21 at the M1 round to Watford at Junction 19, it's about 10 or 15 minute delays there. And as you continue, Maple Cross, the M40, looking very slow as well. A1 into London, Borehamwood, Q, Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus, and we've got reports of an accident on the A41 in Edgware. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. If you've got young ones, shield there is. In the last hour, we're talking sex. Sex clubs and sex shops. Would you object to one in your high street? On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
Good morning, it's 8 o'clock, I'm Catherine Boyle. The headlines, MK Hospital accused of ageism, shotgun seized in Luton and builders set sights on East Hearts Greenbelts. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of an elderly patient are accusing Milton Keynes Hospital of ageism. Relatives of 82-year-old Joan Parker believe she would have died of her head injuries if they hadn't repeatedly intervened on her behalf. She was eventually transferred to the John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford, where she was treated for bleeding on the brain. Her daughter-in-law, Pam Parker, is a paramedic and she wants answers. It's really, really frightening for us to think that when you're older, what's going to happen to you? because there's no care as soon as you get to a certain age. I think they um, saw that she had wrinkled skin, you know, pardon the expression, and in her own words, was it because I had grey hair? And, um, you know, she's been through a traumatic time since that. A sawn-off shotgun's been seized and a 19-year-old man arrested after dawn raids in Luton yesterday. Armed officers went to an address in the Runfold area thanks to a tip-off from the member of the public. The weapon and ammunition were hidden outside the house. A public consultation's underway in central Bedfordshire that could stop sex shops and lap-dancing clubs opening in town centres. Ewan Duncan has the details. After the controversy over the opening of a lap-dancing club in Amptill, Central Bedfordshire Council's asking local people whether they want tighter restrictions on the adult sex industry. A ban could be imposed on strip clubs and sex shops within 500 metres of schools, parks and churches, as well as close to community buildings and residential areas. More than 2,500 people signed a petition against Amptill's lap dancing club, which lasted three months before relaunching as a nightclub. A final decision on the policy is due to be made in September. Plans for 10,000 new houses in East Hertfordshire will go to public consultation this summer. The project's already causing controversy as it involves building on Greenbelt land. Developers, places for people say it's a necessary evil given the current housing crisis, but District Councillor Eric Buckmaster accused the firm of playing games. First they were telling the community the development is inevitable because it was in the East of England plan. When that went, they tried to encourage a form of nimbyism by telling the rest of East Hart that they could avoid any development in their towns and villages by having all the housing going north of Harlow. And now they're telling us that 10,000 new homes in the same location is little more than a string of utopian villages. In reality, it'll be an urban area the size of Bishop Stortford. The company responsible for railway tracks and main stations, Network Rail, has been told it must improve its performance and do it with less money. The Office of Rail Regulation says it's identified savings of more than £2 billion in the company's plans for improving and expanding the network. Sales by Jay Sainsbury supermarket chain have risen for the 34th month in succession. In the first quarter of the year, sales at stores opened for at least a year were up by nearly 1%. The England Under-21s manager Stuart Pearce says the players, rather than he himself, need to take responsibility for a third straight defeat at the European football championships in Israel. Pierce is out of contract at the end of the month. The weather cloudy with patchy rain and a top temperature of 20 degrees Celsius, that's 68 Fahrenheit. Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. You dirty, stinking, horrible cheat, Catherine, are just some of the words that will be thrown at you <laughs> if you were all of those things. Have you ever cheated at anything in your life? I've cheated to not lose, but I wouldn't say I've cheated to win. You've... Hang on a second, let me just write that down. I've cheated. Yeah, that's nonsense. What, what on earth does that mean? <laughs> School sports day. Yeah. Not doing very well in the long distance. Yeah. Am I going to lose? Probably. Do I want to lose? No. 
feigned an asthma attack and got carried off. Oh no! You so you you didn't cheat. To, you you. I see. Hang on. That that sentence makes perfect sense. <laughs> you took a dive. Yeah. If I knew about football, I would mention a famous footballer who does diving. But I yeah, don't him. know any of him. You're like that him. I know. Dirty. I'm very ashamed. You do that sometimes at work, don't you? You come in fine, and then suddenly your voice gets a bit husky. <laughs> oh, and I've got to go. Oh, and I've had a phone call saying one of my daughters are being sick, so I've got to go. Bye. Oh, that's outrageous. But true. No. Oh yeah. I've never known anyone's children throw up as many times as Catherine Boyles do. Sometimes for weeks on end. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Here every weekday morning between six and nine. Jonathan Vernon-Smith coming up at nine o'clock. Before him, this is what we're talking about. A family believes their elderly relative would have died if they hadn't intervened during her time at Milton Keynes Hospital. Well, I'll be speaking to the chief executive of the hospital. Central Bedfordshire wants to change its sex licensing policy, which would make it difficult for sex clubs or even sex shops to open in certain areas. But... Is there anything wrong with sex shops? It's just a bit of a harmless fun, isn't it? And a charity says parents are too worried to give their children freedom. At what age did you start playing out on your own? You can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or this is the best way been a bit quiet on the phones this morning we've so quiet we, we even let dennis and dunstable come on earlier on that's how quiet it's been oh eight four five nine four double five five double five across beds hearts and bucks this is bbc three counties radio now, earlier on in the show, we heard from the family of an 82-year-old woman after her treatment at Milton Keynes Hospital. Joan Parker's daughter-in-law, Pam, told us what happened. My mother-in-law collapsed. She was 11 hours on the floor. Emergency ambulance was called. Um, it was apparent that she had a very nasty head injury. Um, the head was swollen. It was um, coming down her face and it was getting progressively worse and you couldn't mistake that she had a head injury. And um, it took us, um, you know, at least a couple of days to actually get a scan. And when they discovered there was blood on the brain, they did nothing. Well, Joan's son, Dave Parker, says if they hadn't intervened in her care, she would have died. I think the, the crisis is it's at every level of care. It's not just the high-level intensive care or brain op. It's just basic food, drink... And cleanliness. I think because of our intervention, or many interventions over the whole course of her treatment in Milton Keynes, um, we had to inter- intervene and battle on a daily, or, or even more, more than once a day, to get her the basic level of care. And uh, if she hadn't have had that care, she definitely wouldn't be with us today. Well, this all comes after a report into elderly care by the Care Quality Commission found that Milton Keynes Hospital failed in all five categories. The hospital has admitted that mistakes were made. Well, I'm joined on the line now by Chief Executive of the hospital, Joe Harrison. Joe, what went wrong in Joan's case? Well, the first thing I'd say is thank you very much for inviting me onto your programme. And what I would say is that I'm very sorry to the family for the fact that we did at times let down this patient quite seriously we managed the care according to clinically how we should have done 
So let me let me be very explicit about it. We worked with the John Radcliffe Hospital, who are our local tertiary centre, who see all of the very seriously critically ill patients. Her head wasn't examined, even though she obviously had a, 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 a head injury. It wasn't examined for a few days. She was given uh, the wrong food. Her feeding wasn't supervised. The uh, family were told that she'd been up and about walking when she hadn't been up and about walking. She wasn't given fluids or put on a drip. It's a pretty long list, isn't it, Joe? One of the things that I would say is that I am very clear that the care here is improving. I'm very well, it needs to. You failed in all five categories that the Care Quality Commission have, have investigated into elderly care. I, I know that every single day, every patient now is seen every two hours by our nurse. Could you respond to, to the, sure the points I put to you? I can. Just, if you just let me say that where I think we can give the public confidence every two hours now all of our patients are seen they are asked if they need a drink they're asked if they need any help at all with their medication it does seem amazing that you're flagging that up as as being an improvement that seems to me to be obvious and quite shameful that that wasn't happening before well i think one of the things that the care quality commission did identify was that the hospital needed to improve its care that that um well, you failed survey. in five categories so yes that survey was taken take took place in december and since then the hospital you will i hope your readers and your listeners rather will have seen that milton Keynes is now one of the most improved hospitals in the country let's go back to joan's case and again i don't want to go through that long list of of, of failures on the hospital's part H- how do you explain those i know that we in certain areas let down that family in very I, serious, I, significant areas, I Joe. I personally met with that family to ensure that we would listen to them and improve our care for patients. But how do you explain what happened and, and, and why it went so wrong? Well, I, I don't want to get into the particulars of this issue with the family, well, because I know, well, let me, let me finish, because I know that clinically, in relation to the treatment for the patient's head injury, clinically... We did everything that we should have. Well, let me just I go through that list. That the family has a as a different view. Let me just that. go through that, that list one more time that the family have put forward. Because I do think it's significant. She was given the wrong food that she was unable to eat and wasn't helped with eating her food. Mm-hmm. Her head wasn't examined uh, uh, for a few days, even though it was apparent that she had in- head injuries. Nothing was done when bleeding on the brain was found. Uh, she wasn't given fluids or put on a drip for quite a few days, even though she was dehydrated. I'm I'm sorry that the family feel that nothing was done. How could those things be allowed to happen? That was not the case. Are you saying all of those things are incorrect? I'm I'm referencing specifically the most serious issue that the family have raised, which is in relation to the head injury. So you're saying that the family have uh, have got it wrong? And what I'm saying is... I'm just clarifying, Joe, because this is very important. You're saying that the family have got it 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 wrong. It's very important. I'm sorry that the family have not heard what we've been saying, which is that with the specialist centre that we liaised with the day after the patient came into the hospital. With that specialist centre, we agreed that the conservative management of that patient was appropriate. The conservative management. So you didn't give treatments that perhaps could have... or or undertake tests that could perhaps have been done? We agreed the best clinical management for that patient with that tertiary centre, John Radcliffe, who I have absolute respect for, we agreed that the most appropriate care for that patient right. was not intervention. And I need, I need to make sure that your listeners... She wasn't given a head scan at, for, at, for four days. At not every... 
point is it appropriate for intervention to take place. She wasn't given a head scan for four days. She's an 82-year-old woman that had collapsed and had been lying on the floor for 11 hours and had a swelling on her head. She wasn't given a head scan for four days. Have, have the family got that wrong? Now, we know that... Have the family got that wrong? We know that you ha- Joe, I'm going to ask okay, you a question. Have, have, have the family... Got, and I will, if you give me a chance... No, I if you could answer, answer that question now, because I'm, 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 I'm getting slightly frustrated with your PR speak. Have the family got that wrong? Let me, let me answer the question, please. Please? I will say that the family were... That patient, rather, was given a head scan when they came into Milton Keynes. On the first day they came in? No, because it was not clinically appropriate. After four days, she was... So, uh, Joe, you, you are being slightly evasive. I, I promise you I'm not. No, you, Joe, no, Joe, no, our listeners will I'm make not. our mind up. You are being evasive. No, Did she get a head scan uh, uh, after four days? In response to that question, yes, she did. Was it clinically appropriate to have it sooner? No, it wasn't. So let me be explicit again. Even though she was an 82-year-old woman who had obvious head injuries... She was x-rayed for other injuries that she had on the days she arrived from A&E. So clinically, she was given the right treatment. I'm sorry the family don't believe us. I'm sorry that the tertiary centre agree with the hospital. I'm sorry that the family... But she had bleeding on her brain, didn't she? She did. Could that have been established earlier if the head scan had happened earlier? Would the treatment have been any different? No. Had, uh, could that have been... Est- that's not the question, Joe. I don't know. I don't know. Had- some buts and maybes. No, 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 Joe. These, these, are, these are straightforward questions. I don't had, know. Had the scan happened four days earlier, would the bleeding on the brain have been discovered? I do not know. It's likely it would have done, wouldn't, isn't it, Joe? That's your view. I do not know. Joe, come on. If the, if the scan found it, uh, 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 found bleeding on the brain four days after she'd gone in, it's likely that the scan would have discovered that very serious condition four days earlier, isn't it? Could I just be clear that the... I wish you would be clear, Joe, because you're not at the moment. (laughs) Thank you. Serious conditions um, require intervention. Yes. This, when the first scan was taken, and let's let's also be clear, there were two scans taken. Yeah, the the first first one took four days after she'd gone in. When the first scan was taken, no intervention was clinically required. When the second scan was taken, again... We discussed it with the experts at the John Radcliffe, and at that point, we agreed that clinical intervention was required. What about the food issue? Elderly people um, often need help with their foods. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, Joan, who was 82, I believe has, has uh, mouth cancer or, or throat cancer, uh, and couldn't eat certain kinds of food. We got that wrong. We got that absolutely wrong. How? Because we were not providing the standard of care as a hospital that we should have been doing. How? How did you get that wrong? I know, I, know, I know in what manner you got that wrong. How was that allowed to happen? Because we weren't getting the basics in place. I know, again, I know that. Why were you not getting the basics in place? What went wrong, Joe? What went wrong was that we did not have the systems, we did not have the, the ways to check on our patients that we have now. How can a hospital, Joe, not have the systems to know whether an 82-year-old woman with some kind of mouth or throat cancer is not eating her food? How can the hospital not have that basic system in place? I would like to, I would like to comment on what we have. No, no, no. I want to know how, how, that could, how that could possibly happen. How an 82-year-old woman who couldn't speak, who has some form of cancer, who can't eat certain foods, was sat there with being given the wrong foods that were for somebody else and not being supervised and not being aided with her eating. How is that possible to happen in a hospital? I've said I'm sorry. I am the chief executive of this hospital. How is that possible, Joe? Please, please let me Well, stop, stop giving me the PR speak no, and answer I'm the not. question. I, I am proud of this hospital. I'm proud of the improvements that we have made over the last three months. 
we know that our patients today receive the care in the vast majority of cases we don't always get it right in the vast majority but of cases you're not answering the question you had the question was how was that allowed to happen I have answered the question. no you haven't how was that allowed to happen how was an 82 year old woman who had difficulties eating be allowed to be given the wrong food and not be helped with her, her eating so what i said is that we did not have the right systems in place to support every single patient we have that now and that must make you feel very proud that you finally got a system where elderly people who struggle to eat can now be helped with their eating. It makes me feel proud that we are looking after the population of Milton Keynes. At last. The standard that I would expect us to. OK, and it's, it's taken a while to get there. If the uh, CQC... It, 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 it has, and, and again, I, I need to be very explicit with your listeners that absolutely it has taken a while. This hospital has been looking to do this for years and i'm pleased well, why, it's taken years yeah. joe i can't answer that no it's I taken years no you can't answer very much this morning the cqc if they came feel that way no uh, the listeners feel the way as well i'm sure if the cqc uh, came and did another report would you fail on all five categories or would you pass on them we would not fail on all five categories I'm would sure you pass all of them that. that is dependent upon what the inspectors say on the day so you're not confident you would pass on them i know that the cqc will come into this hospital I know that, as they have done already, they will comment on the significant improvement. But you're not confident you would pass on all of them. We've got a text from Jim who says, it's unacceptable the way that Joan has been treated at Milton Keynes Hospital, but to be perfectly honest, it doesn't surprise me. I wish her the very best of luck and hope she has a quick recovery. We're getting lots of opinions like that, Joe. How do you change those opinions? By evidencing that Milton Keynes is one of the best improved hospitals in the country. That's how we change it. That's how I, st- I can speak to your listeners today and say that if you come into our A&E department now, we are one of the most improved in the country over the last three months when everybody else nationally is saying that there are problems in A&E, yeah. ours is getting better. But being one of the most improved doesn't, this final thing, so we are running out of time, being one of the most improved doesn't necessarily mean it's one of the best. It means it could mean that you started from a very very low standard, which you did. Um, what I want to make sure... Is that funny? I, don't, I didn't it, think that was funny. It wasn't it, it, one of my best jokes. It's an interesting take from you. You failed, um, you failed in all five categories that the CQC investigated in, in Care to Early. So, yes, you started from a very low standard. We don't, we don't know whether we have achieved all those five standards. You started from a very low standard. So saying you're the most improved hospital, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean your standard now is particularly high, does it? I, um, I was asked a question yesterday whether I would have my family treated in this hospital... And the simple answer to that is, I would have my family treated in this hospital, yes. Well, there we go. Joe, thank you very much for coming on. That was uh, Joe Harrison, who's the chief executive of Milton Keynes Hospital. A little bit late for the travel. Hopefully Adam has waited for us. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Yes, indeed. Thanks very much, Ian. London-bound M40, we've still got queues. There was the broken-down lorry earlier between Stoke and Church and High Wycombe. Everything's reopened now, so thankfully traffic's on the move again, but still delays of about 25 minutes. Heavy traffic through Aylesbury on the A41. The A413 in Amersham, slow moving from Amersham down toward Chalfonts and Giles. Delays on the M1 southbound from Dunstable toward Luton, and the A1 is looking busy in patches this morning. First off approaching the Black Cat roundabout, then down the A1M from Hitchin to Stevenage, and the A1 into London through Boreham Wood. You've got M25 delays through the roadworks, past the A1M, then from Chorleywood to the M40. And on the trains, 20-minute delays, first Capital Connect, Hartford North to Moorgate, Welling Garden City to Moorgate, and Stevenage to King's Cross. This is because of a signalling problem between Bowes Park and Alexandra Palace. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Adam. 
Right, oh, look at the time. It's nearly 8.20. It's uh, Wednesday, the 12th of June. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of an elderly patient are accusing Milton Keynes Hospital of ageism, claiming 82-year-old Joan Parker would have died if they hadn't repeatedly intervened on her behalf. A 19-year-old man has been arrested after a sawn-off shotgun was found during dawn raids in Luton yesterday. In sport, the England under-21s manager Stuart Pearce has blamed his players after a third straight defeat at the European Championships. BBC Three Counties Radio. Nick Coffer, across beds, hearts and bucks. On Friday afternoon, I'll be donning my Speedos and trying out some summer activities at the Hitchin Swimming Centre. Nick Coffer. I'll be getting fully kitted out to become a beekeeper, clowning around by learning some circus tricks. There'll be live music, plus I'll be learning all about a local lavender farm. Nick Coffer. Live from the Hitchin Swimming Centre, Friday afternoon from midday. On BBC Three Counties Radio. JVS. Hi. Hi. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Um, I was listening, I was thoroughly, enjo- I was driving slower yesterday because I wanted to catch the tail end of uh, your consumer hour, which I find thoroughly entertaining. And there was a story and I lost the reception just before the conclusion of, oh, oh I remember the bit that made me laugh. You had a gentleman do, 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 a, do a naughty word. It was like a, uh, it was, it was like, it's like a car crash on the radio. You could hear it? him breaking down when he, he he did so well. He was he had trouble explaining the problem. Bless him, he was nervous. <laughs> you managed to get the problem out of him, and it was a yeah. fascinating one. And then, as you always say, don't mention any company names or products. Yeah. And he did. He yes. let it slip. And then he realised what he did, <laughs> and then he swore. <laughs> Just to make it, just to to really make it better. Tim, 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 could you could you take him a sort of outbreak? Just remember, if you come on the air, don't please don't mention any company names or swear. Here's Rod Stewart. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, we've not got much time. Sorry. No, come on. Focus. What's on your show today? Well, I'm picking up on this uh, this subject you've been talking about this morning. It's very interesting. This whole idea of children being allowed outside alone to play. Coming up from nine on the big phone-in. Would you advise parents to let their under-tens play out alone? Research from the campaign group Make Time to Play shows that, on average, children aren't allowed to play out until they're nine, can't visit the shops until they're 11, and they can't use the bus until they're 12. The ambassador of the campaign, Dr Linda Papadopoulos, who you spoke to a little earlier, seemed to be suggesting that this was holding children back and that letting them out on their own from a young age is a vital part of their development. Well, from nine this morning, I want to hear your views on this. For you parents, would you advise parents today to let their under-10s play out alone? Because I'll be honest with you, um, I don't really know. When I was a kid... I was allowed to play out alone. We used to have... I heard you talking with interest at the block. Yeah. I mean, do children even know what the block is now? No. We were allowed to go round the block. Yeah. And when I think back, my parents used to let me and my brother out when I was about seven mm. on our bikes. My brother would have been about five, four or five. You were in charge of him. Yeah, I was Come in charge of him. when it's dark. And we were allowed to go... To start with, it was to the end of the road. Then it was around the block. Then it was gradually to the woods at the end of the road where... Remember the brick? Um... <laughs> And gradually we were allowed the kind of further and further boundaries. Well, I was thinking about this this morning. When I was 14 and my brother was 11, we were allowed to cycle on our own from Harpenden to Boreham Wood. And it took us about two hours. Yes, yes. That's miles away. That's a long way away. And we were allowed to cycle on our own. 
now, there's either there's two things going on here. Either things have changed significantly, and it would be totally irresponsible and dangerous to allow children to go out and play on their own at a young age, or parents today are just wrapping their children up in too much cotton wool. And, and I was interested to hear that lady speaking to Justin earlier, who said... 12-year-olds are not as responsible as 12-year-olds used to be. Surely children have to be given some responsibility before they are responsible. From nine this morning, would you advise parents to let their under-10s play out alone? 08459 455 555. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Always worth a listen. If you missed, it was about... When was it this, this gentleman dropped a, a naughty word on his show yesterday? I think it was about 11.20, something like that. It was... It, I, I felt so sorry for the poor bloke. He was, he was very nervous. And it can be... It, it is nerve-wracking phoning a radio show. Of course it is. I get nervous when I do it. I do it from time to time. I get nervous. And it, he uh, was having trouble getting the story out. Um, and, and, and Jonathan expertly managed to kind of kind of tease us out of him. And it was all going so well. And then the bloke, he forgot where he was and he mentioned the company name. Slight pause. Oh, sugar. It, <laughs> oh, dearie me. It was one of those things. It was one of those things. Uh, 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you uh, want to give us uh, a call. Should we have a quick look at the uh, rest of the uh, the front pages? We did some of them. Let's have a quick look at the others. We'll be talking sex after half past eight as well. If you've got young ears, you might want to put some cotton wool in. This is what you don't see. You don't see people with cotton wool in their ears anymore, do you? You used to see that all the time. Do people not get manky ears anymore? You'd always get cotton wool in in your ears with a little bit of olive oil. My mum got it wrong once, and she boiled some olive oil and put it in my ear. It was boiling. You'd always see kids with cotton wool or, or strange men who cut themselves... Men who cut themselves shaving and stick it with little bits of paper. You don't get that anymore. Which is, I think is disappointing. These are the things we're missing. Cotton wool in ears and men who've got cut faces from razors that use a little bit of toilet paper to, um, to, to stem the flow of blood. I did that once. You just look ridiculous. You just look ridiculous. Stuart's on the M1. Good morning, Stuart. Hi, good morning. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. What can I do for you this morning? Um, I would never normally ring a radio station other than to talk about my beloved Watford Football Club. Oh, for goodness sakes. Yes. I, I, we won't talk about them just yet. I'm um, I'm dri- driving south. I live in Northamptonshire, so I come through the county uh, where I work in Hemel. And um, I am absolutely staggered at the response to your very, very well presented set of questions to the chief executive of Milton Keynes Hospital. That, that was Mr Joe Harrison, wasn't it? If I lived in Milton Keynes with my young family, I would be looking to move out of that county immediately with a risk of having to walk into a hospital that was run by such a weak, poor, irresponsible chief executive that I've just listened to on your radio station. Now, we have to, we have to tread slightly carefully, just because he's not here to defend himself, but, so let's, let's just be careful about that. But what, what, what made you... What didn't you like about what he said or what he didn't say? If you were interviewing Stuart Pearce from the England under-21s, I would expect the responses that you had got from a football manager that was under a little bit of pressure. Your questions around health care for an 82-year-old lady were 
normal, precise questioning, he could not answer anything other than trying to put spin on every response that he gave you. He is the chief executive of a hospital responsible for the health care of that 82-year-old woman, and I was just staggered to the point, as I say, I'm not lying, I wouldn't pick the phone up to talk to you about this, but that, that is just totally unacceptable. I, I do have one word of advice for, for councillors and for business executives and CEOs and all of these. Don't go on these PR training courses. It's uh, it, it, We can spot when you've been on these PR training courses and they don't help. Come on as a human being uh, a, a, and answer the questions as a human being. That, 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 I mean, you could sniff that he'd had some sort of uh, training. You were unhappy, Stuart, about his answers, but what do you think bosses like this should say to make you happy? Well, in, in response to what you've just said, you're absolutely spot on. I don't actually think he's close enough to the case in question um, and it just feels like he's been put on the radio to try and defend the hospital without even knowing the real facts of what happened. Now, I may be wrong there, but I can only go on what he has responded to you in his questioning. And I actually don't think, in what was you on, five to, to seven minutes interview, that he actually answered one of your questions. Stuart, listen, I appreciate your call. He did say that uh, in, in uh, Mr Harrison's defence that he had spoken to the family himself, so I'm sure he does know uh, the ins and outs. But I, I take your point, and I did find it a little bit frustrating. I do... Just answer questions. That's that's the thing. You, there are these PR courses. There are people who are paid big bucks. I should be one of these people. Pay big bucks to t- teach councillors and politicians and uh, chief execs of hospitals and CEOs of companies how to answer slightly awkward questions. Uh, I, I, and as a listener to radio and a watcher of TV and a listener uh, and an interviewer, I find it very frustrating. Answer the question. That's all. Uh, well, if you missed uh, Joe Harrison, uh, the chief executive of Milton Keynes Hospital, you can uh, hear it again on the iPlayer. I'm sure it'll pop up in this week's uh, podcast as well, so you'll be able to have a, a little listen to that. Travel news for beds, cards, and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. The M40 London bound, we've still got queues after that lorry that was broken down blocking off a lane earlier this morning from Stoke and Church to High Wycombe. The lorry's been moved out of the way, but it could still take you 25 minutes along that stretch of the motorway. A404 busy into High Wycombe this morning along Marlow Hill. The A41, there's heavy traffic through Aylesbury between the Woodlands Roundabout and the Esso Roundabout. A413 in Amersham, it looks like we've got slow-moving traffic from the A404 and the A355, the London Road West, down toward Chalfont St Giles. London-bound M1 delays from Redbourne to Hemel Hempstead from the A5 through to the A414, 10-15 minute delays. The A1 still queuing from St Neots down to the Black Cat roundabout. Delays on the A1M from Hitchin towards Stevenage. And then if you're using the A1 into London, Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus, it's very slow through Boreham Wood. Chesant and slow-moving traffic on the A10 from College Road to the A121. On the M25, anti-clockwise delays start off coming into the roadworks from Waltham Abbey. Then as you go past the A1M, it's about 20 minutes of delays there. And from Chorleywood to the M40, looking slow as well. Disruption on the trains. First Capital Connect run with delays of up to 20 minutes possible between Hartford North and Moorgate, Welling Garden City and Moorgate, and Stevenage and King's Cross. This is because of a signalling problem between Bowes Park and Alexandra Palace. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very much, Adam. Sex shops coming up after the latest news and sport. No connection with Catherine Boyle. Across beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
Good morning. The headlines. The family of an elderly patient are accusing Milton Keynes Hospital of ageism, claiming 82-year-old Joan Parker would have died if they hadn't repeatedly intervened on her behalf. A 19-year-old man's been arrested after a sawn-off shotgun was found during dawn raids in Luton yesterday. And a public consultation's underway in central Bedfordshire that could stop sex shops and lap-dancing clubs opening in town centres. Three Counties Sports. BBC Three Counties Radio. Formula One world champion Sebastian Vettel's agreed a new contract extension with Milton Keynes-based Red Bull. He'll now be with the team until the end of the 2015 season. Vettel's been part of the team since 2009, claiming 29 victories, 39 pole positions and winning three successive titles since 2010. England's under-21 side lost their final match at the European Football Championships in Israel. They were beaten 1-0 by the hosts in Jerusalem to add to their defeats to Italy and Norwich. Uh, Sorry, Norway, not Norwich. So a miserable tournament for the England manager Stuart Pearce who was asked why his side hadn't been able to progress from the group stages Maybe uh, wasn't enough talent here, maybe the 13 players that stayed at home would have contributed slightly better, maybe end of season people felt as though they were suffering fatigue, I don't know, a multitude of things, I have to learn from it you know, and the players have to learn from it, I'm not really in the business of hanging people out to dry the bottom line is the results weren't good enough we lost three games Finally, golf and Tiger Woods says his spat with Sergio Garcia is done ahead of this week's US Open golf at Merion. Garcia had been accused of racially insulting Woods last month before the PGA Championship at Wentworth. The Spaniard insists his comment wasn't meant to be racist, but he admits he regrets what he said. I wish I could go back in time and, and, uh, and take back what I said, but unfortunately I said it. You know, the only thing I can do is show you my respect from here moving forward. You know, try to be as respectful as, as possible. You know, competing and, and, and hopefully my, uh, what I do uh, will, will show you how much I care about, about everybody. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at nine o'clock. Yeah, I bet he wishes he could go back in time and not say it because he's lost millions of dollars in sponsorship. Ouch. Oh. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is Ian Lee. On BBC Three Counties Radio. Last 26 and a half minutes of the show before JVS comes on at nine o'clock and does his thing. Coming up, sex clubs, cheating, bedroom tax and housing in huts. It's a lot to cram in. Shall I shut up and get on with it? Yes, I will. Now, it seems as though people power may have made a difference in central Bedfordshire. After residents in Ampthill complained about the opening of a lap dancing club, the local authority has decided to update its sex licensing policy in a way that would effectively mean no such venues or sex shops will be given planning permission in its towns. It made the decision after 88% of those who took part in a phone poll said they were opposed to venues like this operating close to vulnerable people. It's now put the changes up for consultation. Well, our sex correspondent, Justin Dealey, has been in Dunstable this morning, morning, and he's been asking people whether they would object if there was a sex shop or a lap dancing club on their high street. I've not really thought about whether it's acceptable or not, but I certainly wouldn't want it on the high street. Why wouldn't you want to see one here on your high street in Dunstable? Because it because, is a bit of a failing high street. It might bring more people in. I don't think it will, because I mean, what sort of people do you want in? You want families, you, want, you, you just want ordinary people. I can't see the problem where I've seen them previously. They've all been blanked out in the windows, so it shouldn't offend anybody. If you wish to use it, use it. If you don't, don't use it. So you're saying that people won't even know it was there? I'm not saying they won't know it's there, but normally they're very discreet. So why not? Well, from where, as I say, most lap dancing, that type of nightclubs, get used at night. Kids and that around during the day, so why not? 
No, not on the high street. Back streets, yes, but not on high streets. Tell us why not the high street. I don't think it would look professional if you come in stunts and if you just moved into the area or you're driving through and you see a sex shop. I don't think that's a good idea. They are quite discreet, though, aren't they? They are discreet, but I still would not have them on the high street. I mean, have you ever been into any of these places before? I've been into Anne Summers, mm-hmm. but then that's sort of not... Oh, I suppose that is classed as a sex yeah. shop, ain't yeah. it? Yeah. I suppose it's different because it's commercial. Yeah, it's commercial and it's advertised and everybody knows what Anne Summers websites you know that's a leading brand well earlier on on this show we heard from conservative councillor brian spur who's the council's executive member for sustainable communities at central bedfordshire council probably one of the reasons why we're doing the survey is to make is to get people to tell us where they think they should go um so that we can if we do license one it's licensed in a sensible area don't think we need to broadcast sex shops in the middle of high streets close to anywhere else don't think we need to have um, signs saying sex shop and this sort of thing. If if they are away, if they are away from the area there, then they don't cause us any problems. They don't cause the local residents any problems. Well, Councillor Spur says the change wouldn't mean that Central Bedfordshire would be a completely no-go zone for venues like this, but he couldn't suggest where he thought they could go. Joined now by two guests, we've got uh, Lynette Burrows, who's a writer and broadcaster, and also Jerry Barnett, who's a former chairman of the Adult Industry Trade Association and a sexual freedom campaigner. Good morning to both of you. Morning. Jerry, I'll start with you first. What's the attraction of having an establishment like this on the high street? Um, well, I guess the attraction is that people want to, to visit them, and, uh, you know, why, why shouldn't they be on the high street as long as they're tasteful and... and uh, you know, and, and people want to attend. One of the arguments that Councillor Spur put forward is, is that vulnerable people could uh, could be corrupted by by these sex shops in the high yeah, street. I mean, that's that's uh, a kind of an, a nice old British way of looking at sex, and and you know, and it's the way we've looked at it since at least Victorian times, and probably. Um, you know what does vulner- what do vulnerable people mean? We 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 have sex in this country, like in every other country. We just like to pretend it doesn't exist. Are sex shops tasteful, Jerry? Some are and some aren't. You know, it depends where you go. I mean, there's there are some lovely ones now in in central London. The Harmony Store in Oxford Street is really nice. Now, and you, you mentioned get as many women and going into these places as men these days. Isn't it funny you mentioned the Harmony Store because I was walking past that just last Thursday. I know exactly the shop you mean. It's got some quite outrageous clothing in the window. I, I don't know if I'd call that tasteful. Uh, yeah, it depends on your taste, really, doesn't it? Lynette, do you think... Some people it's tasteful and some people it's outrageous, I guess. Lynette, do you think that um, sex shops are tasteful? <laughs> no, not really, only if you've got very low taste. But I suppose you could... I mean, tasteful, it leaves a nasty taste in most people's mouths. The buying and selling of the human body without love or affection or morality. They don't like it. And um, I'm jolly glad of that. But these these sex shops don't um, encourage necessarily immorality or, or um, not people not to love each other. It's just a bit of fun in the bedroom, isn't it? Uh, it's. I think it's pretty low taste, quite honestly. It is about selling. Um, you know, it's not people that you know. It's nothing personal about it. It's commercialised sex. That's all. And there's um, 
there's an industry that makes money out of it, and there's a lot of sad people who use it. But if I wanted, I'm just bearing in mind we've got young ears listening, but if I wanted to pop into a, a, a sex shop on the high street and buy some saucy pants uh, and maybe some bedroom equipment, there's no problem with that, is there? Oh, well, uh, saucy pants, goodness knows. Are you talking about ones that fasten above the knee? Um, I don't really know. Saucy pants, no, you're not talking about that. You're talking about uh, something that involves a lack of morality, actually. Jerry, a lack of morality. <laughs> Sorry? Um, yeah, I mean, if some people think sex is immoral, but it's not, it's a normal human thing, and, and we all cool. do it, and the fact is, we used to call these toys marital aids, and the fact is that most people are going in there to spice up their relationships, to make their relationships better. You know, people who are having more sex in their marriage are more likely to have a happy marriage and more likely to stay together. So is that moral or immoral? Well, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know about that. But uh, is it moral or immoral to sell sex aids? I doubt very much. I mean, all surveys tell us that people have, uh, married people have less and less sex because they've got no time for it, they have got no energy. And I guess, in, in a way, they're a bit... You know, the whole thing has become very jaded and sordid in the hands of you gentlemen. So people with a normal appetite wandered off and left you to play with yourselves. Jerry, we are sordid and we do not have normal appetites. Here's the thing. I mean, this is the old British attitude to sex and this is probably why we should have sex shops on the high street because sex isn't sordid and other countries and other cultures don't look at it as sordid. I'm not, uh, saying, I'm not saying sex is sordid, dear boy. Neither did the Victorians. They had much larger families than we have. Um, it's nothing to do with sex being sordid. It's your handling of it that is sordid. That's how, how would you like me to handle sex, Lynette? I wouldn't like you to sell it as if it was a commodity. Sorry, I missed that. What was that, sorry? I would like you not to sell it as if it was a commodity, with girls just things in it and people's emotions just things, and the crafty notion of how to stimulate a completely phony and false sexual feelings. Jerry, the, the, the people that took part in the survey, uh, just under 90% of the public were, were not approving of, of sex, uh, of lap dancing clubs and sex shops in the high street. So mm. it would appear that there isn't an appetite for it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always a bit suspicious of surveys because it depends what question you ask, doesn't it? You know, if, if they said, would you like your children to have to see lap dancing clubs every day, then most people say no but um so yeah i mean certainly in, I, i'm not familiar with bedford it may is probably a bit more conservative in tower hamlets at, um and hackney in east london studies have been done and the public were in were, were in favor of the clubs and and shops remaining there but look i mean um you know it, it used to be shocking that these these seedy little shops opened and sold vibrators and things these days you can buy vibrators in boots you know and and uh, uh, you know, we, our attitudes to sex are, are changing. Um, you know, there is nothing wrong with enjoying sex. There is nothing wrong with, um, you, you know, getting stimulation and, and accepting that sex is good. And I, I think, to be honest, sexual attitudes in this country have changed massively for the better, in, certainly in my memory in the past 30 years or so. Lynette, you're, you're, you're behind the times. Well, I would say that the fact that, yes, I quite agree they are changing, which is why 90% of people don't want to see this on their high streets, and good luck to them. But aren't we doing people a disservice, Lynette? There is obviously a market for this. You, you mentioned that, that a lot of married couples are having less and less sex. If these shops encourage married couples to have more sex and to strengthen their relationship... That's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? Uh, you're talking nonsense, aren't you? I mean, you're talking... You're talking... You're talking 
as if a sexual relation was all the same, whether you had it with a, uh, a stranger, somebody you knew and loved, responsible, irresponsible. I mean, you're just talking about a human activity. It's like talking about anything else. It depends on the context. And there's nothing wonderful about the kind of soulless, um, isolated, on-your-own sex vibrators, how great that you can buy them. It's pitiful. People should get a good book. OK, we've had, well, yeah, we've, we've had the V-bomb drop three times. Let's just steady away from that because I know there'll be awkward questions being asked in cars by young children uh, at the moment. But Lynette, you, you, you said it was it was uh, uh, men's fault. I, as I, I say, didn't say it was men's fault. Okay, uh, but I was in Oxford Street the other day and I saw more women going into Ann Summers than men. Mm, very sad, isn't it? Yes. Is it? I think it is. Why? Yes, absolutely. Why? Um, well, the idea of having to um, stimulate yourself sexually because you haven't got a real relationship in your life. But maybe they it's have got sad. a real relationship and they're, they're, they're doing that to encourage no, that relationship. Um, we won't mention the things that you mentioned. It's no. all about uh, solitary vice, actually. And um, that, far more than anything else, that um, people are healthy and love one another. They can make their own fun. They don't need probably the lowest brains around to put together a programme to do it for them. Jerry, final, final point to you? Um, well, it's healthy. We know that uh, using these, these appliances is actually good for health. There's plenty of, oh, of medical rubbish. studies, um, uh, you know, things like in, in men, reduced prostate cancer and, oh, and, and various other things. You can find, find all these, these studies online. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to end it there. We'll give you each other's phone numbers so you can continue this discussion off air uh, if you want. You heard uh, Lynette Burrows, who's a writer and broadcaster. Uh, who is against uh, sex shops and lap dancing clubs, and also Jerry Barnett, who is a former chairman of the Adult Industry Trade Association. Apologies if uh, any of that language offended you, and again, apologies if you are with your children and awkward questions were asked in relation to some of the language. Never our intention uh, to offend. Well, sometimes it's our intention to offend. It certainly wasn't there. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still slow moving on the M40, London bound after a lorry broke down early this morning between Stoke and Church and High Wycombe. The lorry's long gone, but the delays remain. It's not quite as slow as it was, but you could still say it's congested probably as far back as Junction 6 at Watlington. The A404 into High Wycombe looking slow this morning, and heavy traffic on the A41 in Aylesbury between the Woodlands Roundabout and the SO Roundabout. Amersham and the A413 looking busy from London Road West through toward Vash Hill in Chalfont St Giles. London bound M1, there are delays from Luton Airport at Junction 10 toward Redbourne at Junction 9. It's looking a little bit slow at the moment in Bishop Stortford. The A120 between Albury Road and the High Street. If you're driving through Dunstable, the A5 is slow moving, as is the A505. We've also got a fair bit of traffic on the A1 still coming down toward the Black Cat Roundabout, then along the A1M between Hitchin and Stevenage. M25 delays, you'll find them from Waltham Abbey all the way through to the Roadworks section. And as you come out of the end of the roadworks at the A1M and continuing round from Chorleywood to the M40 and train delays, 20 minutes worth for First Capital Connect, Hartford North to Moorgate, Welling Garden City to Moorgate and Stevenage to King's Cross. This is a signalling problem between Bowes Park and Alexandra Palace. Adam Glynn, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you very- oh, sorry, I do apologise. I was, I was stood in the corner of the room and shouting. Thank you very much, Adam. Right, it's 8.46. It's Wednesday the 12th of June. I'm Ian Lee. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. The family of an elderly patient are accusing Milton Keynes Hospital of ageism, claiming 82-year-old Joan Parker would have died if they hadn't repeatedly intervened on her behalf. 
A 19-year-old man has been arrested after police seized a sawn-off shotgun in dawn raids in Luton yesterday. In sport, the England manager Stuart Pearce blamed his players after a third straight defeat at the European Under-21 Championships in Israel. If you listen to the press conference audio, he gets a bit stroppy in it, doesn't he? Coming up, some of the staff here at BBC Three Counties Radio took their maths GCSE exam yesterday. Some cheated, one of them walked out halfway through. Disgusting. We'll find out more after the weather with Wendy. Beds, hearts and bucks weather. BBC Three Counties Radio. Hello, good morning. We've got um, a lot of cloud around and some drizzle caught up in that as well. But there are hints that that cloud is going to start breaking up through the morning and the first part of this afternoon, at least, before it turns rather wet to end the day. And where we get the bright or sunny weather, we will also have temperatures up to the top teens and perhaps just nudging into 20 degrees Celsius. Bit of a breeze blowing from the southwest, but that's responsible for keeping the milder air with us. And temperatures are already at about 15 or 16 degrees Celsius. Unfortunately, um, just after that slightly finer interlude, there is going to be some rain that shows up. Now, I know this is much needed, so it's not unfortunately throughout, but uh, it's going to give us a rather wet rush hour, unfortunately. And uh, in the first part of the night, some heavier bursts could lead to 10 to 15 millimetres by the time it's out again. Now, overnight, it will dry out. There will be plenty of cloud. It will stay mild, but it will become really very windy, blustery conditions into the early hours of the morning with gusts of wind possibly up to 40 miles per hour. And that takes us through the first part of the day tomorrow so we've just got to keep an eye on that not a good time of year to have such strong winds and then as we go through the day the wind will ease back a little bit fairly cloudy to begin with one or two showers but some sunshine by the end of the day and it stays rather unsettled as we go through friday and into the weekend too i'm afraid claude's quite a character and he has uh, various girlfriends in the district well, I want to find out where he's been catching them. My husband thinks he just goes like 10 feet up the woods, but I think he goes a lot further. Using cutting-edge cameras and GPS technology, Britain's leading cat scientists share a unique glimpse of our pets' behaviour beyond the cat flap. So this will give us the position of our animals to tens of centimetres. Horizon. The Secret Life of the Cat. What we're seeing here on the screen is the very first indication we've ever had of the pet cat's life when it's outside the home. On Thursday night at nine on BBC Two and BBC Two HD. Now something... Oh, something... I've I've, I've set my Sky Plus to record that, by the way. I'm very excited by that programme. What are you laughing? You... Well, that weird noise at the end. Like, oh, oh, it was a purr. It was a oh, cat's purr. Yeah. It reminded me. Oh. I, I saw an advert for that on the telly. It's a programme about cats. Lovely. I've, I've set my video to you record like it. You like cats, don't you? Now... I'm joined in the studio by Justin Daly, and I know you filled in for me last week, and I've, I think I've managed to breathe some life back into the corpse of, the, of a show you left me. But you have the lights you have the lights down nice and low. Yeah. And I've said, Justin, you come in, you're in the studio, you don't come in with me very often, do the lights as you like to have them. Yeah. How can you present a morning show... You know, the studio is dark. There, There is one spotlight that's shining on me. That's it. How Fill the you- atmosphere. Do you not feel sexy? Yeah, but I don't want to feel sexy at eight, eight o'clock in the morning. Oh, you do. Oh, you do. I, I, I do. I, tomorrow, a different man. No, <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> anyway, listen, uh, I want to talk about cheating for the last ten minutes of the show. If you've cheated, dear listener, then give us a call, please. 08459 455 555. Michael Gove, the Education Secretary, has set out plans for a radical overhaul of GCSEs in England from 2015. Mr Gove said a move away from assessment by teachers 
who cares what he said? Justin Dealey's here. You did a maths GCSE yesterday. Yeah, it was so boring. Um, a number of people here at the BBC, we retook our GCSE maths exam for research purposes. Yes. And then in August, we're going to be opening up those results live on air. Can you see me okay? That. Yeah, okay, yes. <laughs> Are you excited by that prospect? I am. Of yeah. what? The, the uh, opening up the, the, the maths paper live on air? You're doing it on this show, are you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. I suppose we've got to fill 15 minutes somehow, haven't we? Well done. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, what happened yesterday, and I think we should talk about this, is cheating. Yes. We had a number of people upstairs who were cheating. Sophie Salaria, mm. our reporter. Excellent Nick, reporter. Excellent reporter, but a cheat. Nick Coffer, the afternoon presenter. Excellent Again, presenter. Great shoes as well. Cheat. But a cheat. Ollie Bayliss, great production assistant, but a cheat. Yes. So, we are talking about cheating today. I just want to flag this up. Um, this is what happened yesterday when I managed to rumble Sophie Salaria, who was cheating. Well, we were told at the start of the exam that we weren't allowed to have calculators. As I look under the desk... What's this? That isn't a calculator. That's your, my phone that you keep texting me on. It's not a calculator. You've been rumbled. I haven't been, <laughs> been rumbled. Mm. I haven't been rumbled. That is you mm. texting me. Stop texting me. Show me what's under the desk now. I'm going to show you what's under oh, the desk. My cheap skirt. <laughs> Justin. What have you got? My phone. It's a calculator. It's not a... F- it's a calculator. It's not a calculator. <gasps> oh, my goodness. You can really get off my face. Wowzers. Trying to work. We've discovered a cheat at the BBC. How does that make you feel? Justin, hmm. I'm, I'm serious. People are listening to this. Yeah, I don't yeah. Our listeners are. Yeah, you're right. I don't want people to think that I'm a cheat. I'm not you a cheat. You are. Come on. I have to say that you are probably one of the most irritating people I've ever had to be in school with. Well, because I caught you. No, because you're, cause you're talking to me during an exam. Because you're cheating. Sorry, Ollie. Sorry. Just admit you were cheating Sorry. and we'll draw a line under it. I'm not admitting anything. That's why I'm the top reporter at BBC Three Counties Radio, because <laughs> I get stories from nowhere. <laughs> yeah, get out of her face indeed. Mm, terrible. Cheat. Sophie Sele- I mean, I'm glad you've exposed this, because if you hadn't, if the Daily Mail had got hold of this, yeah. I mean, the BBC have suffered a lot in the last year or so with Jimmy Savile and other scandals. Mm. This could have been as big. Could have been as big. Um, Sophie's not the only one. Oh. I was on the streets of Luton today. This is Claire. Now, Claire was the first person I spoke to. She cheated during her science exams. Oh, dear. Yes, I did. OK, so every... Um Every team member got given an ice cube and they had to wrap it in a certain way for it to last the longest. And then every five minutes we were sent out to check if our ice cube was still intact. So well, obviously mine melted a long while ago, <laughs> but I continued to say that it was still full and actually won. So how did it feel to cheat and then win? It was horrible. <laughs> Never again. Disgusting. Just, mm. Justin, stay there because uh, we've been asking for the listeners to call in with their cheating stories. Bill's in Hemel. Good morning, Bill. Oh, good morning, Ian. Bill, you, you're a cheat, are you? Oh, well, I was when I was at school. What, uh, what did you do? 50-odd years ago when I was at school. I hated uh, 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 sports. Oh. And uh, a couple of my other uh, classmates as well, we all, we all ganged up together. And what we did is we used to do the cross-country. Oh, I used to hate cross-country. I love it. Oh, How could you love cross-country, Dealey? It's just torture. Look at me, I'm fit oh. now. You're very fit, actually, yeah. Nah, but what we used to do is we used to be in lines and we used to run, and then as soon as we saw got going, we used to jump into the bushes. And then on their way back, then we used to join them again and then come back to school. <laughs> oh, so they go one way, you go and hide in the bushes. Well, maybe have a sneaky fag as well, Bill? 
Well, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. good lad. <laughs> and then when they come back on their, their way back, you'd, uh, you'd jump out and... And then we joined them and we all sweaty and made ourselves look really tired and they come back to school and go away with it. That's the, there was a story, wasn't there, recently about someone who... This, this old guy who was, like, breaking the pensioner's record for marathons and he was yeah. doing it all over the world. But what he would do is he'd just jump on the tube. It's Bill. <laughs> <laughs> it's not years, he's live. It's not you, is it, Bill? No, 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 no. I'd like to have done it, though. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Bill, thank you very much. He, and this old boy got busted because someone took a picture of him on the tube with like, his, mm. his marathon numbers on it. People stuff. do it. And people feel good about cheating. Like Bill. Like well, Sophie I yesterday. Well, I don't know if people do feel good oh, about do. cheating. I think there's a little guilty conscience. Quite possibly. I, I couldn't take it anymore yesterday. With all the cheating going on, I walked out. I walked out of the exam. The problem was they had an in-house examiner. So yeah. the, the in-house examiner came upstairs. It was okay. He thought, right, they're all quiet. They're working. I'm going to leave. And that's when the problem started. People yep. got the calculator. They were even phoning people, phoning their friends for the answers, like Nick Coffer was. It was terrible. Makes, it makes me say, How long did you last in the exam? Um, about an hour. Did you uh, finish it? Um, not all of it. No, I had to go. I, how, just, I couldn't work. How those. do you think you did? What's your, what's your prediction for your grade? Um, well, I I got an E back in 1996, so probably an F this time. Okay, 1996. What, you, what was number one uh, when you did your maths probably, exam? Uh, in actual fact, um, it would probably have been an Oasis track, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Happy days. Oh, great days. Get out of my studio. Thanks, mate. Turn the lights on. Yeah, turn on. Take the headphones off. They're mine anyway, they're the posh ones. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. you keep the cheap ones. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, turn on. Because of the unique way the BBC is funded, people like Justin Dilley can cannot be fired from their jobs. Isn't that outrageous? Uh, we'll have a quick look at the... We missed three of the front pages. By the way, thank you very much for all of your input uh, this morning. We've had some, uh, some cracking text, of course. It's been a bit quiet on the calls, but the ones we've had have been quality. And we have Bill from Dunstable as well. Dennis in Dunstable, sorry. Uh, front pages of the Daily Express. Cat Dealey has become the golden girl of Hollywood. Wowzers, uh, a new EU guide to claim British benefits. Outrageous, Brussels helps migrants. The Daily Mail, take record your builder. What? This is never going to work. New laws to help consumers enforce verbal agreements. Minister advises, tape record your builder. Families should record conversations with tradesmen on their mobile phones to ensure they stick to their word. Oh, Joe Swinson. That's not going to work. So, um, uh, uh, Mikael, you're going to be... Just say again what you're going to be doing. You're going to be doing the bathroom. It's going to cost £700 and you'll have it done by June the 19th. It's not going to work, is it? You silly sausage. Get it written down. Get it, emails, letters, get it written down. And there's uh, the sum... <clears throat> oh, it's that gentleman. Do you remember him? Jeremy Forrest. Who's Jeremy Forrest? Anyone? Anyone? He's the naughty teacher, the 30-year-old teacher that ran off with a 15-year-old girl. Teacher fled with girl pupil after four-month sex fling. He's, uh, he's there in handcuffs. And then there's a quote from uh, the girl inside, page uh, four and five. Schoolgirl, 15, tells of sex with teacher. I ran away because I didn't want to face mum. The very fact that she ran away because she didn't want to face mum. Well, it says, anyway, the case is continuing today, so there's, uh, there'll be more on that as it progresses. Thank you for your input. If you want to get in touch with me at any point during the week, uh, send me an email. You can go to the Facebook page, but sometimes I miss your comments. Uh, on the Facebook page. So you can send me an email, iain dot at bbc.co.uk. Uh, if you're a music act that wants to come on a Friday, uh, we're li- I believe we may be a music act short this Friday. So uh, if, if you... Uh, uh, do you know what? It's Wednesday. We'll take anybody. We'll take anybody this Friday, good or bad. If you want to come on, you play an instrument, send me an email. 
I-A-I-N.L-E-E at bbc.co.uk. Don't forget to go to iTunes, type in Ian Lee, BBC. You can get the, the podcast that comes out uh, on a weekly basis. Travel news for beds, cards and bugs. BBC Three Counties Radio. Still delays on the M40, London bound after a lorry broke down early this morning between Stoke and Church and High Wycombe. Lorry's gone, but congestion remains back to Watlington at Junction 6. Southbound M1 slope from Northampton at Junction 15 to the Newport Pagnell services, then again on the London bound side from Luton Airport Spur at Junction 10 through to Redbourne at Junction 9. M25 traffic starts anti-clockwise at Waltham Abbey, runs through the roadworks past the A1M, and then it's busy again from Chorleywood to the M40. Patches of traffic on the A1, southbound it's slow, from St Neots to the Black Cat Roundabout, along the A1M from Letchworth to Stevenage, so that's from Junction 9 to 7, and then into London along the A1 through Boreham Wood, from Stirling Corner to Mill Hill Circus. Heavy traffic on the A41 in Aylesbury, approaching the SO Roundabout, the A413 in Amersham still looking busy, from the London Road West down to Chalfont St Giles. Queues in Watford on the A412 as you come to the Town Hall Roundabout, and 20-minute delays for First Capital Connect services, Hartford North to Moorgate, Welling Garden City to Moorgate, and Stevenage to King's Cross. Adam Glynn, BBC. Three Counties Radio. Adam, thank you very much. Right, that's it for me. Don't forget iTunes or the BBC podcast page. You can get the weekly best of. There are three out at the moment. I'll be back tomorrow at six o'clock. Do stay tuned, though. JBS is up next. Always a good listen. Until tomorrow, from me, ta-ta. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good morning. Welcome to the JBS Show. I'm Jonathan Vernon-Smith. 